on episode 96 of Pixel Gaiden. Six good bow and arrow games. Cody reviews some more Genesis shmups. We go over our Christmas wish lists. Our patrons get schooled. A half million in retros stolen. The RG Boy handheld gets smaller. New classic computer cassettes released. The most rare and valuable Atari games. And a whole lot of holiday cheer. It's Christmas time in the city. How'd nice. I do? You did great. Right? Soon it will be Christmas Day. This is Cody Hoffman. And Eric Nelson. And you have made your way to the world's best retro video game podcast, Pixel Guide In. Um, yes. It is that season, Eric. It is December. And uh, when everyone's listening to this, it will be December 15th. And on this episode of Pixel Gaiden, uh, we are going to be doing a number of fun things. If I can get my screen up so I look like I know what I'm doing. We, uh, first of all, have Cody Cody's Corner, part two of the Genesis Shooters um, segment I've been doing. Yes, yeah, so I listened to the first part in the car just a few days ago and loved it. I, I found so many games I need to try, and I haven't had time yet, but I'm going to go back. But I, I found it very informative. The good thing is once you set your Genesis up, you can just play through them all. You don't have to like switch systems out or anything, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So full disclosure, it's another 48-minute section, <laughs> and yeah. I only and there's going to be a part three. Just, <laughs> there's going to be a part three. Really? And it's not going to happen this month, so the final enthralling conclusion will happen probably on episode 98 early uh early 2023 there but cody's corner genesis shooters uh eric and i of course are going to touch on some news and then we have a six good games segment that eric came up with no you chose it but it was i think it was my idea a long time ago but it was an interesting one yeah i don't remember all the i don't remember the history on it but yeah it was a good one bow and arrow games games with bows and arrows um so yeah without further ado we don't want we don't want the good people to wait for the content here so let's hop right on in to some quick questions quick questions quick questions is a segment where eric and i answer some quick questions that are retro video game inspired and uh we like to reach out to our discord family to find some quick questions however this uh episode we'll save those for next episode this episode it's it's our questions to each other eric it's like oh, a gift. It's like a little so Christmas intimate. gift. Yes. Um, so a very straightforward, very simple one, Eric. Yeah. What retro-inspired items, retro or retro-inspired items, are on your list for this Christmas? This is the first Christmas. I do not have any. I don't have any retro or retro-inspired items. The closest thing I have is in fact the only video game related thing is I asked okay. for an 8-bit Doe Ultimate Pro controller. That counts, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it it's it's a modern controller and it's video game related, but that's the only thing I asked for. Uh, this is the first one I haven't asked for anything retro. What about okay. you, Cody? Um, I'm kind of in the same boat to be completely honest with you. Now I do have some Evercade items that I that I requested. That is this is one of those things that's so funny to me because there's literally like ten thousand things you could buy me that are retro related that I would love. Yeah, but everyone's like, "Oh, you're so hard to buy for." No, I'm not. No. <laughs> I mean, you can be as cheesy as going to like the Target section and buying like the Mario box that they have there that's 19.99 just comes filled with Mario stuff. I'd be stoked. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm easy. Um, I've got a few Evercade cartridges uh, on there. I, I'm trying not to buy my myself anything in December so that yeah. I don't suck up all the uh, the items on my Amazon list, but. I want to get the uh, the Atari Lynx collections on the Ever Evercade, which I haven't done yeah. yet. Yeah, I want that too. And then I have a number of um, retro-inspired Switch games on there. But as far as like actual retro, yeah, mm-hmm. that's not really something you can ask for, is it? There is one thing that's been on my on my list for like seven, nah, maybe not long, that long, five years, and yeah. no, no one ever gets it. And I think it's because people don't comprehend it, honestly. And it's the eShop gift card, right? Yeah, and. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. I, don't, I think um, you know if you're not a gamer, you don't understand what those cards are and what they do. Maybe they think that's part of the whole like you're going to buy outfits and costumes in your favorite game or some some of that stuff, which I hate. I'm like, no, yeah. I just want to buy. I just want to have money in there, so I don't feel bad about buying a, a full price game. I don't have to wait for it to go on sale because it's not yeah. my money. <laughs> that's right. Hey, I did. I did. I did ask for some retro stuff. Uh-huh. I asked for some vinyl. Ooh, there we go. Yeah, a couple. I I, I wanted to get. Um, Pet Sounds from by the Beach Boys. Yep, yep. classic um, album. And as for a couple other ones, I don't remember what they are off the top of my head because it was about a month ago. I put it on my list to Santa, uh, but I remember that one. So. so, so I have to touch on this, even though it has this is retro and not retro and not video game. Yeah. So uh, we were with our our friends <laughs> out on the town the other night over the weekend. And we went out and got dinner, and then on the way back, we just decided to stop in one of their the bars that they frequent. We've never been to, and this thing is out in the middle of nowhere. There's they literally don't have credit card machines there; it's cash only. Yeah, um, you know, if the power goes out, the whole place is black, and there's no street lights. You're not getting out of there, kind of a place. Yeah, there was nobody there, but we walked up, and we were excited because right on the door, posted with a uh, eight by ten printer paper, the Black, the local Black Sabbath cover band was playing that night. Wow. And so That's we were in cool. their playing pool with like three other people, four of us and like three other people rocking out to Black Sabbath for like three hours. And in between sets, I'd run up and like talk to the band. And I put, yeah. in, I put in a request for a Pink Floyd song. And they played it. <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was a good time. But what, anyways. What pink, what pink Floyd song did you pick? Oh, man. I just said Pink Floyd. They played the song. Okay. Do you now, remember they, what song it was? They, they hinted me off. Um, they hinted me off because they were talking about. I'm like, what else can you? You know, what else do you guys do? Are you just like metal only? And they said they're thinking about putting a Pink Floyd thing together. So I'm like, yes, play one. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> um, I know the song, but um, I comfortably mi- numb. Yeah, I think it probably was. Yeah, I yeah. think it is. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, uh, Eric, you have a question. A quick question. I do. And it's Chris. It's uh, Christmas related here as well. 
Please tell me your favorite gaming-related Christmas memory as a kid before 18 years old. So I have kind of two. One I've told before, so I'll touch on it really quick. But that was when I got the Nintendo. But it's funny because I wasn't the one that asked for the Nintendo. Yeah, my my sister did, and so when we got it, it was she was it was all Mario all the time. Like let's play Mario, right? Yeah. And for whatever reason, I just didn't. Maybe I was too young to be good at it, so it didn't click to me right away. And then Duck Hunt got boring quick. But I had the pack where it came with the three the cart with Mario. Duck Hunt and the Power Pad, yeah, that you stepped on, and it came with the the game Track and Field, yeah. And so I remember Christmas, I guess it was yeah Christmas morning or the Christmas after day after Christmas morning. We always did it at my grandparents' house, setting that up to their tiny TV and having this Power Pad on the ground, and figuring out how to try to like do the hurdles and like the long jump and all these things. And instantly within the first day, we figured out the only way to beat half of that stuff was to cheat, right? Like, right. to do the hurdles, you would jump on it, jump off, land on the carpet behind the pad, then jump back onto the pad. Yeah. You didn't actually try to jump high. You, you got off and got back on. Right. Um, so that was one. But the only other one that I can think of, because my parents really did not get me much in, in terms of video game stuff for Christmas and things like that. Um, and, and true true to my parents and the way they always did things, um, I remember figuring out at a certain point... Um, where the gifts from my parents, <clears throat> wink, wink, were. Yeah. And uh, I remember going in there, and it was like in November, and I wasn't trying to find gifts, but they whatever this was, they got got away early. And I saw the the Telltale box uh, where you saw, you know, the screenshots of a whole bunch of different games on the back. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's a video game system. It's what that is, right? Right. And I remember... Uh, I'm like, oh, it must be. There's no way they got me a new the new PlayStation because it was the era, right? The new PlayStation I think had just come out or a 3DO. I don't think the 64 was out yet, but it was like that brand new era. And that's when I got my first Genesis. <laughs> Sweet, <laughs> yeah. And so we were always way behind the curve. My parents didn't get anything until it was under 100 bucks. So yeah. I, I'm sure it was like 79.99 at that point or whatever. But I got a Genesis Model Two right when the PlayStation came out. So that was my yeah. other, my other memory. <laughs> how about yourself? Well, I kind of have two, two quick stories too. You know how I often talk about how the, one of the first consoles I got was the Atari 5200 and it wasn't mine. I mean, our whole family got that as a gift, but that's technically not correct. The first gaming thing I ever got was, or, or it's not really a console, but it was the Microvision. Do you remember that? I, well, I can't remember it. I think it was before my time, but it was. I know what I do know what it is. Yeah, the Microvision um, was. Um, the Microvision was like this game console where the whole game was the snap-on cartridge on the face of it. So it was a handheld machine, but the whole cartridge was the face, and kind of like your parent story. Um, my parents didn't buy that till it was like well past its prime and yep. like in the, it was totally in the clearance bin with a bunch of games. Oh, nice. And uh, so we got that. And I remember my sister and I played the crap out of that thing until the buttons wore out on the front. Cause they weren't very good anyway. Uh, and then it was a, uh, maybe the Christmas after that or a couple Christmases later is when we got the Atari 5200 as a family. And I loved that thing too. And I, I played that a lot with my friends and, and, and sisters. So nice. Those are my yeah, that, those are my best memories. I'd love to get one of those. I know that like nowadays none of them exist without 
major issues. Um, that'd be a cool thing for them to remake again. I'd buy all the cartridges. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was like absolutely. A, it was like um, a Game Boy in the sense that it was a handheld that you could change the cartridges. But once you put a new cartridge in, it was almost like a an, an early version of like one of those Tiger electronic handhelds, but kind of yeah. simpler, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it would literally the the Microvision had like that weird LCD screen that I, I don't. It was literally like eight by six or something. I don't remember the dimensions, but it literally was eight by six LCD panel or pixels or whatever. So, I mean, <laughs> the games were very rudimentary, like Breakout and, you know, stuff like that. But we loved it at the time, and we had, we had never Great. seen anything like it before. So it was awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Cool, cool. Um, really quick, I want to go ahead and mention that we are part of the Amigos Retro Gaming Network. Please check out other shows on the network, such as... Uh, Amigos, Everything Amiga, ARG Presents, Sprite Castle with Rob Flack O'Hara, and um, other shows such as The Coco Show, um, Our Sinclair, covering everything retro computer, uh, actually kind of specific retro computer game related, really. Um, and we're the one, I think we are the only show on the network that does console stuff. I think you're right. So, uh, Well, ARG Presents does consoles when they come up on the wheel. That's true. Oh, the wheel. the wheel. I want a wheel. I can't steal everyone's ideas, but I would love to steal the wheel. Yeah. That's when brilliant. They, they spin the wheel, they make the deal every week. Nice, nice. Uh, go ahead and uh, let's catch up on some errata and feedback. We got a couple items in here I wanted to, to bring up. Uh, one was brought to my attention by Mr. 48K Ram, Josh Malone himself, who said, uh, and this kind of leads into our show sponsor, which we want to talk about just shortly, but... Um, when we talk about our show sponsor, who's going to get two spots this show <laughs> because of this? Um, oops, sorry about that. When we talk about uh, RetroRewind.ca, yeah. we always mention the code PG10, so you can save yeah. 10% off your order at RetroRewind.ca. What, you, uh, what a lot of people haven't realized... And, and we fight with it every time, and other people have. Keep in mind that you need to be logged into your account on RetroRewind.ca to use that code. So if it's not working for you, you have not yet either made an account and logged in or logged into your account to use the code. So keep that in mind. And I'm sure we'll say it from now on when we talk about RetroRewind.ca. Yeah. Um, also on Twitter, I was uh, reached out to by Alexisms. And uh, Alexisms reached out to me and wanted to point out that the game Severed, which I, I completed and talked very highly of on the last episode, uh, that game was actually originally on the Vita. But that's interesting. Yeah, because when you, when you were talking about it, I was like, oh, man, that, is, that sounds so good, but I'm not going to get that on. I don't have an iOS device. I'm Android. So. Oh, I'm sure it's on Android, too. It's got to be, oh, right? okay. Maybe it's know. on there. But if it's on Vita, I could just grab it there, too. The thing with the Vita, I'm trying to imagine it. It only had a touch pad on the back, not on the front screen. So I'm trying to figure out how that would work. Huh. Did it? Or does the Vita have a... I thought the Vita had a touch screen on the front. Is it on both? I thought it was only on the back. Uh, I have my Vita right here in hand, but I, I don't think it has any juice on it. Well, once again, we're creating more errata and feedback for next episode by not knowing what we're talking about. Um, but anyways... No, nope, it's got touch touch screen on the front. I just unlocked it. Oh, perfect. It. Well, then, Eric, you can go ahead and down that bad boy. I'm sure you'll find a way to pay two, your one ninety nine, so the developer gets the credit for it. But of course, I will absolutely put, put it on your Vita. 
and give that bad boy a play on there. So now you have a way to do it, and that would be a great way to play it. That's a beautiful screen and a much larger screen, too. So, All cool. right, I'm going to check that out. Thanks, Alexisms. Yeah. Alexisms? Alexisms? I don't know which one it is. I have no idea. I have no idea. And the last one I'll throw in there, I just kind of realized this. Um, sometimes us dumb Americans don't realize what's foul and naughty across the pond. And Eric might have said a, one word three different or three times in a row. I was laughing so hard when I heard it the other day, Eric. Um, you just threw See, it I out thought there. you heard it when I said it, so and no one said anything, so I thought I was okay. <laughs> I I didn't hear about it, but um, it's uh, it's one one letter off of the word wink, like you'd wink with your eye, and you you. <laughs> <laughs> and you describe you were describing uh one of the games we played uh comparing it to space invaders saying you know you just do that space invader things wink 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 right except not <laughs> wink yeah and i just started laughing i'm like i don't think that's kosher but you know what uh i didn't catch it when we edited it i didn't catch it on live because in america that's not really even a thing so no I mean, you can say that on TV here, on public TV here in the U.S., but you're right. I think maybe it has a different meaning over there in the, in, in, uh, you know, the homeland. The homeland. So if we, if we lost your, your, uh, your listen, listenership because we offended your children, I apologize. Yeah. Um, but that's all we have. Let's go ahead and let everybody know how they can get a hold of us. You can get show information on our podcast at pixelguiden.com. You can also listen to our show on the Amigos Retro Gaming Network at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. You can reach us on Twitter using at pixel underscore guiden. You can reach Eric at the project. That's at D-U-H-P-R-O-J-E-C-T. And you can reach Cody at oddball, which is at O-D-D. BA1149. You can also reach me, that's Tim, at Sanxion, and that's at S A N X I O N. Please review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcatchers that you use. It really helps us out. You can email us on podcast at pixelguiden.com. And we love any feedback. And also, please let us know if we've done anything wrong, and we'll mention it on the next show. We also have a Patreon account set up, so if you wish to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. You can support us with as little as a dollar all the way up to infinite dollars. If you do so, you'll get access to the Amigos Retro Network Discord server, where all kinds of cool chat is happening about not only our show, but the other shows, such as Bright Castle and, of course, the Amigos, um, amongst other shows. And there's various other topics in there, um, everything from for sale to music to uh, high score contests, things like that. If you support us at the $3 or more tier, we like to announce every supporter at that level here on the show in a way that we can only do here on Pixel Guide and using our random adjective generator. And this month, we're getting out our toy blocks and heading back to preschool. Hey kids, do you want to thank all the wonderful people who help support the Pixel Guide and podcast? Great. Let's sing along. The victorious David Vincent, the sturdy and stiller, the homeless Jason Holland, and the penitent Mr. Toast. Simplistic Paul Jacobson, tight Ram OK, Ram OK, and the habitual Adam from Commodore Chronicles. 
They give us their money so we can play the games. Pixel Gaiman plays them and tells them if they're lame. The abstracted Mark Richardson, quaint David Modelak, Languid Scott, Partlow, Henrik Lopal is a big quack. Roy Fieldine is elegant. Josh Malone self-aware. The limping Matthew Ackerman. Brian Arsenal is fair. Daniel James is breakable. Put him in a box. Ten minute Mega retrocast is fly like a fox. That's what makes him cool. Retro Gamer Nation is always happy when he's not much Janzowski's also described as illiterate and a They give us their money so we can play the games. Pixel Guide and plays them and tells them if they're lame. They give us their money so we can play the games. Pixel Guide and plays them and tells them if they're lame. So I hope you enjoyed that, Eric. I hope it brought you back to your childhood. It did. It was very sweet. <laughs> and then that's oh, me opening. That's even that's, sweeter. You, that, that's music to my ears. There we go. So I'm supplying this first beer. Eric is playing, supplying the second beer for the night. Yeah. And um, so I'll read this one off. It is from Loomis Basin uh, Brewery in Loomis, California. Again, not too far from my house here. I think I've had one beer from them before, and I hate to, to say it right off the bat, but I don't remember being a big fan of it. Uh-oh. Although this has a super cool can. It's got this giant, like, red-tailed hawk attacking, like, a beach party, and there's, like, a dude and a, a, a girl in, you know, skimpy beachwear being attacked by this hawk, and it's called Alohawk, which is a play on words and very funny. He has a lay-ons. Is he attacking them? I don't know. You know what? Look look at the claw. Apparently, I just realized this. The hawk inappropriately stole the top of, of the, the lady. Be, of the beach bunny, yes. Yeah. So she's covering up. And you that know. guy is pointing to the hawk, but without yeah. meeting, missing the beat, he's also checking her out at the same time. <laughs> yeah. That naughty hawk. Oh, and that naughty boy. At, um, eight, at 8%. That's, that's why things are so crazy on the can. 16-ounce can, 8%. Fiery golden orange in color. Sweet malt fills the mouth. Redolent of honey. Pear and fresh apricot. Eric, do you know that the finish is so smooth and well-rounded, its strength is deceiving, but it pairs great with a wide variety of foods? That all sounds great to me. All right, Eric, so let's go ahead and try this one. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Mm. All right. That is, I'm going uh, to. I'm going to let you. I'm going to pick a rating system. And I'm going to let you pontificate on where you're going to fall on this bad boy. Okay. Um, we are. It's you know it's it's Christmas, but we're coming up on the end of the year. True. So uh, it's it's going to be 2023, which means uh, since 
since uh, the day of our Lord Christ was born in, in the year zero, we've had two hundred. I'm sorry, two thousand and twenty-two days. So out of two thousand and twenty-one good years, Eric, <laughs> what are you going to give this one? <laughs> it, it, so it, 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 it for an eight percent beer, it is very smooth. Okay. Um, it does have flavor. It it does have a bit of a a soapy aftertaste. <laughs> soapy, yeah. Okay. I don't know if you if are you you did you kind of get that too. Here's what I'm going to tell you right now, Eric. Okay. I'm gonna, I want you to come up with more notes. So I bought a six pack of this. Yeah. And I had one mm-hmm. um, before the sh- before the show. Actually, I had one before I gave it to you. I made sure to save one of these for the show. But you'll also notice. In my other hand here, I am drinking a gin and tonic. <laughs> yes, and I'm Let's get probably, this party started. I am that, and I'm I'm not planning on drinking this whole beer, Eric. <laughs> oh, are you serious? <laughs> I am not a huge fan of this beer. Okay. Um, I don't know how to describe it. It's light yet makes you. I don't know it. it it's light and, and arid, but at the same time punches you in the mouth with like soapy, yeah, I guess soapy apricot. Yeah, so I'm not going crazy, right? Because I've been sick, if people can't tell in my voice. I've been pretty sick lately, and that always screws up with my taste, my, my, my taste buds. But I get a sweetness to this, like you're saying, like some kind of fruit, like an apricot. Um, it's smooth, though. It's It's refreshing. But it has a little soapy taste to it to me, it, it, which is really strange to say. But yeah, it's almost like a little dishwasher dishwasher yeah. soap is in there or something. To me, it is. Here's how I'm gonna describe it: you take okay. your first you, you take your first sip and you expect beer. Yeah, and, and you just taste like lightly carbonated water. Okay, and all of a sudden, in the back of your throat, you get hit with um, like apricot spice candle. And then it goes away. I could, I can, I could, I could see it. Can, you know, it's a fine line between candles and soap. <laughs> it is. Is, the, is uh, it the amount of tallow? It's the waxiness. <laughs> it's the waxiness. Um, but I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't hate it. Okay. I don't hate it. Okay. I, I, I mean, I like soap. <laughs> um, <laughs> I might wash my hands with it, but I don't exactly. hate it. Um, yeah, but it's not, yeah, I, I get everything you're saying and I totally 100% agree. So, I mean, so are we doing 2020, you said out of 2021? 2021, yes. The amount of good years we've had since Christ's birth. I'm going to give this a 1150. Yeah. See? Yeah. Yes. You know, Eric, I'm going to agree with you wholeheartedly. I think it's 11:50. If I needed to drink this through, I could. It's no howling gourds. No, I'm I'm going to drink this all. I guarantee it. And then a couple episodes ago, uh, maybe it was in October, we drank that that next that black one with the pumpkin on it. Yes, yes, that you gave me the extra one. <laughs> so when I handed this beer to Eric, I I also <laughs> handed him the leftover. I don't remember what that one was called, the giant pumpkin or something like that. Black pumpkin. Black, and it was my second the second worst beer I've had on this show. And this is, a, wow. a clo- this is a close third. Now, this I, is a now, close third. Now that black pumpkin one, I can see that you would not like it. I liked it. I actually enjoyed the leftovers that you brought I'm over. Gra- I'm glad. Yeah. 
I actually enjoy that. Now it is an odd beer. It's a sweet stout, which is bizarre. Um, but it's okay. This one does. It, this one has a slight off-putting flavor to it, so I can it see really why does. this one's no good. Yeah. Yep. So there you go. Sorry, Loomis Basin. Aloha. All right. What are we doing next here? At this point, I don't even know. Uh, news. How about we do the news? All right, so we are back and ready for the news. So this first one is a Zetic Spectrum 128K game uh, in which the creator has said it was made in an experimental graphics Ooh. mode. Um, I have not had a time to download this to try it out, but it reminds me of the big Petski games, like for the Commodore 64, you know, that are in like big chunky crazy graphics that's what this reminds me of to me it reminds me of pico 8 it does but with the resolution blown up because the screen's so large Mm -hmm. it but you're right it does look like a pico 8 game or maybe even a little (laughs) amstrad yeah but imagine like a little platformer with a little guy and and he's all scrunched up like a little square pixel not very many pixels wide, maybe eight by eight, um, but it takes up the whole screen on the 128K. I mean, these are big, fat, chunky graphics. I've never seen anything like it on the ZX Spectrum. No, and that it has to be unique. on a 128K really surprises me. You know what I mean? Oh, does it? So it has to be on the 128, though, right? It can't that's be on what a... the notes say. That's what the notes say. Well, then that's unique for sure. Yeah. So yeah, the gameplay is inter- it's a puzzle platformer, which you and I are not a big fan of, to be nope. honest. But it's made by Retro Souls, who made um, uh, what's it called? Old Towers, the one where you zip across the screen. It's another kind of puzzle game, but I really liked it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a game where you you break blocks through their head, and you can create blocks. So you're trying to like clear areas, but then also make blocks to help you reach keys to exit out of the door. Um, but it looks great if you're into that kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, I thought the colors and the graphics were interesting in that, so I thought it was newsworthy. Speaking of newsworthy stuff, Cody, tell me about this. (laughs) It all better be newsworthy because it's in our news segment. That's true. Um, So I'm excited about this. In fact, my daughters and I are going to try to play this tonight, depending on if they get their homework done. Okay. Um, But we are yet in, in the third release of the new Mario Kart 8 uh track packs yeah so that's cool they came out with eight new tracks which they each have a cup just like all mario kart games right so you can play a cup with four tracks or another cup with four other tracks um that you know half the tracks are from previous mario kart games but there's also four new tracks that are brand new and a lot of people are saying they're the best tracks yet because they're actually made specific to mario kart 8 um so they use all the tricks and and things rather than recreating uh you know tracks and games that didn't have all those tricks and features yeah but they also as part of the update released version 2.2.0 which allowed a bunch of cool things such as a new customization tool and uh some other big in-game cheese uh, changes so the customization tool will allow you to do things like when you start a race and we were already talking about how we want to play it tonight um if you want to start a race, you can choose which items are going to be are going to show up in the uh, 
in the question mark boxes. Yeah, that's so pretty if you cool. Like, if you have a couple items you don't like, you can take them off. If you have a couple items that you love, you can focus on those. Or we can just make your own crazy games just by changing that. So we, we want to play like Rainbow Road, where you fall off the edge all the time. Yeah. But with only those really big bullet bills you turn into that like make you double speed and knock out all the enemies on the way. Yeah. So everyone's just going to be tearing everybody up and flying, but trying to stay on the path. It's going to be a whole, it'll be insane. And I'll be hilarious. and We'll be laughing. That's awesome. So uh, excited about that. And then one other thing they changed, which I never even thought about, but apparently this has been an issue that they hadn't fixed until now. But if you're playing Mario Kart, you know, the, when you get the lightning power up, yeah. it zaps everybody and they get all small. Yes. Well, apparently if you're going, if you go off a jump, um, like you can see the video here, you go off a jump right here whoop, and you are like, you know, doing that thing where you're floating down to the next track. Yeah. Currently before this update, if the lightning hit you, your little glider would just disappear and you'd fall to your death. Okay. And they'd reset you again. So now it'll make you small, but you keep floating. Okay. Well, that so makes sense. It fixed some things. Apparently some of the new levels too <laughs> really, this would have really messed them up. So that's why they decided to do it, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, cool Mario Kart 8 uh, update, which most people I know that listen to our show or enjoy our show have a copy of that game. So I have a copy was... of the game, but I haven't bit on, because you have to be on the some special online service f- to get that update. No, so so you if you are part of the updated, yeah, the Microsoft, uh, what is it, uh, not Microsoft, uh, Nintendo Switch Online, obviously you and I pay 20 bucks just to be online, you get... Yep access to nintendo and super nintendo but it's like 50 dollars more a month or something crazy to get access to genesis games and a couple other features including the mario kart dlc or you can do what i do and just pay 24.99 and you'll get access to all the dlc as it comes out so that's what i did oh so there's almost like a season pass or something for mario kart uh you pay once you pay 24.99 all the future dlc that comes out you get access to Huh? I'll, I so didn't you, know that. I'll do. Yep. I, I will do that. I didn't want to sign up for the online thing. I thought that was the only way to get those extra yep. tracks. All right. Well, I'm in. I'm going to do it. Yeah, it's cool. It's very cool. <laughs> did, did Cody have you ever played Uridium on the Commodore 64? I have. I know it's a classic game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a game that I've loaded up a number of times, and I have not gotten to the point where I'm good enough at it to like it yet. But I understand how I could like this, for yeah, sure. Yeah, as a kid, it was groundbreaking because the parallax scrolling, the smooth okay. sprites. I mean, it was kind of the the killer game on the Commodore 64. And I was reading through this, and I guess that a demo of for the Commodore Amiga, of they were going to come out with Uridium for the Amiga, and I guess it got shelved or whatever, but they have found it, and they are going to or have, I don't know if they're going to, or have, um, a, d- a demo has surfaced of the unofficial Amiga version, which has been recovered and made available for download. So it looks like it's already out. And I'm looking at <clears> video <throat> of it, if this is the video of it. Yeah. And I have to say, it doesn't look a whole lot better than the Commodore 64 version. <laughs> it doesn't look a whole lot better, but it does look better. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you're a huge Uridium fan, then I think this would be totally worth checking out. Um, or if you're just interested in Amiga history, that this was a, you yeah. know, a, a could have been thing. This if this ha- had actually made it out. So, now if I remember right, in this game, I think the part that really frustrated me is you you can flip back and forth, and enemies come at you both ways. Yep. But you can also like run into towers. But 
there's no way to know what the tower wh- where the towers are they're going to hit you until you hit them and you learn oh i can't hit that that's right. It, they basically <laughs> create a shadow and you can hit them, but it's hard to see the shadow because of the colors of the ship. It's gray and the the shadow is darker dark, gray. Dark gray. <laughs> so, it, yep. no, that would that's my biggest complaint about Uridium 2. If they would have just taken out the the things you can crash into or made them a different color or something, it would have been so much easier. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Do you want to read um, Tim's here? This one came in by Tim. Sure. So Tim says, BBC Micro Legendary Title Elite has been remastered using the popular view data text mode or more well-known name in the UK as teletext. This is a mode on the BBC that is also used back in the 80s as a form of generating information pages available through your TV that sat below the regular TV signal. Using the correct type TVs, you could switch to view the data, hence view data on your screen. Now using that mode on the BBC, Mark Moxon has spent time converting Elite to this very unique graphical style. You can find Mark on Mastodon here, and there's a there's a message that you'll you'll see in our show notes. Um, I, I clicked I on the link because I, I want to see it. I have read a lot about Teletext. Um, teletext mm. was a very interesting thing, and this is getting a little bit away from gaming, but in in on the BBC embedded in the television signal was this computer code that a computer like the BBC micro could read out and show on, on the computer as well as some TVs had it built in where you could switch it to it and it would show you the news or there were even little like uh, trivia games and stuff like that in teletext. Mm. So we're looking at a video of it here and it's actually, they, <coughs> they, they fake graphics pretty well. It looks very yeah. chunky, but um, yeah, not bad. This is actually this is actually a monumental occasion for me because it's my first time ever being on a Mastodon page, which I have not done yet. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> so, oh, this is Mastodon. Okay, um, yeah, very interesting. I'm sure more interesting to people in the UK who use that service, but pretty cool. Yeah, I, there was a little project I wanted to do a long time ago, which was uh, make a teletext. They, they've saved a lot of the old teletext stuff. Because the code is embedded in old TV shows. So if you have old VCR tapes of like old it's TV shows, you can parse out the code for teletext. That is the nerdiest, coolest thing. But I wanted to do it on a Raspberry Pi where it showed teletext on like a TV continuously showing the news from the from the 1980s. <laughs> That'd be cool. And I wanted to do that and I never got around to it, but I would love to do that someday. But anyway, let me continue on here. Um or if you don't have a real Beeb, then you can play it through your browser here, and there'll be a link to show you how to play that. Um, that- I, I, I don't know why you would want to convert Elite to those big, chunky graphics, but I think it's a cool little project. So yeah, it's something kind of worth checking out if you have a BBC. Eric, if I show up to your house with a bunch of Alohawks and one of them's opened, just don't worry about it. Okay, I won't, I'll still drink <laughs> it. I'm not letting this bad boy go to waste. All right. Uh, these next two I'm going to do out of order here, but um, since we last had the show, I don't think I mentioned this. Maybe I did, but Evercade announced their newest cartridge, which I'm excited about because it falls into the things I love about having new physical cartridges, and that is the Indie Heroes Collection number two. Yes. So I get 12 new independent uh, games that were made for old systems on one cartridge. I can play on the Evercade, and I get to pay the developers to do so. Um, we've got Tapeworm Disco Puzzle which looks mm. like a snake kind of game. Yeah. Um, 
Nessie the Robot, uh, Reckonum Souls Adventure, the Cowlitz Gamers Adventure Trilogy. That, you know, I have to say one thing about people who make these these small independent games. Don't make your titles so weird that we don't even know what you're talking about. Like, make, right. try to make them catchy. Like, Nessie the Robot. Okay, that's cool. I don't yeah. have a problem with that, but the Cowlitz Gamers Adventure Trilogy. Yeah. And then the other Come one, on, Reckonum, Reckonum Souls Adventure. That's a little too Reckonum's. close to Rectum. <laughs> also true. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll, I'll try not to make any more comments like that. The Grunozerka Trilogy. Okay. okay. The Anguna Scourge of the Goblin King. Okay. Um, actually, I think that's a sequel to an- the other Anguna game, uh, RPG, which is on Indie Heroes Collection 1. Okay. Now, this one does sound interesting. This this name draws me in. Ira the, the Crow Maiden. Hmm. She's like um, a bikini-clad woman, apparently, that controls crows. I don't know. That's pretty uh, cool. Beer Slinger, which is like a tapper kind of a game. Looks like it. Nyx the Paradox Relic. Uh, gel- gelatinous. <laughs> gelatinous Humanity Lost. It's hard to see that. Uh, yeah, yeah, Bebus 2. I don't know where Yeah, yeah, Bebus 1 went, but Yeah, yeah, Bebus 2. And Lunar Journey. So, looks like a good... Um, a couple of those look like Game Boy games, because they're black and white. That Lunar Journey one looks really cool. I like the graphics on that. Yeah. Yeah. And then most of these other ones appear to be NES, if I were to guess. I would think it's all Game Boy or NES uh, titles. So, was this announced, or is this out? Uh, this will apparently <clears throat> come out in January 2023. Okay. Yeah, I gotta get this. Now, you know what else was supposed to come out uh, from Evercade in December? The Commodore 64 one? Their new uh, handheld device, the Evercade EXP. However, that's right. That's right. The EXP. The EXP was supposed to come out. However, it is it is imperative that you know over one half million uh, pounds, meaning currency, like dollars, pounds of Evercade stock reported stolen in a terribly uh, a terrible potentially organized attack so apparently while they were transferring units from one warehouse to another warehouse which i think these were the ones that were going to go to canada and the u.s they were nicked to use a british term and um so according to evercade now i'm not trying to sling mud here or anything but according to evercade they were they were taken and so they immediately started uh producing new units so they could try to get the units to the correct people and as quick as possible. I hope that is not, I don't know. I, I hope, I hope they're doing okay financially after this gigantic hit. Um, but I, there's also a little part of me that goes, that also seem would be a very convenient cover up if they just didn't meet the deadline. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to sling, but I don't want to, I don't want to do that. But, um, either way, a lot of people aren't going to be getting these things for a while because they were stolen in a, potentially organized attack it would be a strange thing to steal as a organized attack because is somebody just going to pop on ebay and be like hey i've got about you know five thousand of these evercade exps which aren't even out yet i've got them for sale on ebay i mean where are you going to fence those and they're all sequentially numbered (laughs) yeah yeah it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but i mean i guess uh, you could scrap it for parts or something i don't know pretty weird that's pretty it weird. Is weird it is hard not to think the uh, think the worst you know like well, this is just a cover because they were late or whatever but i i'm, I'm not gonna say it i love my evercade i'm not gonna say that but it, it, it no it, no it does make it's, me scratch come, my head it, it came to my mind but we we've yeah. got ours we, we're not waiting for an exp so we're not upset about it but no 
Heroes in a half shell. Turtle power. Turtle power. This turtle is cool. Power. <laughs> That's what I used to do as a kid. I don't know why. <laughs> turtle power. Yep, he's going. Heroes in a half shell. Turtle power. <laughs> anyway, my next story is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Arcade is being ported over to the Sega Master System. Why? I'm just glad, I'm just glad we matured, you know, exactly. since those immature ages. Yes. Um, why is this being ported? Who knows why? But they're doing it. So now on the Master System, you can play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's already been released? Has it? Uh, you just being, told me I could it, play it. Is being ported, so it being hasn't ported. been. It's not done yet, but while it's still early days for this port, especially with the early footage of the game above, here is what the creator says: This is a work in progress and an early peek at, at the game. So, um, man, they're looks, working on it. And I will say that I watched the video, and it looks amazing. It looks pretty amazing. I mean. What or a, did someone a, just repl- repost the Super Nintendo version? Because this looks too darn good. There's no way. There's no I way. I feel like the Sega Master System just didn't. I know it was very popular over in the UK and other places. And it did not do well here in the US. But whenever I see really well done Sega Master System games, it always makes me think of a alternate future or alternate past <laughs> where it did really well here. Because there, the, some of the games are amazing. <laughs> yeah, the Excuse capabilities me. of the system. I mean, this. I, so I'm looking at it. This is legit. I yeah. can tell because everything is not working correctly. But the graphics and the movement and everything, it's, it's scrolling and working well. And um, absolutely amazing that they fit that game. At least, even if they only do one level. Yeah. But they made made a game. I mean, it, lo- it looks 16 bit. There's nothing about this that looks 8 bit. Yeah. You just when you see something like this, you're just what could have been. Like imagine the games that could have came out on this if they if the console had done better and they attracted more developers that were just pushing the envelope on this machine. It could have been. Could well, have been it even amazed me for a lot of people don't, to this day don't know that Sonic and Sonic Two. Yeah. Uh, I mean they were they were technically demakes. Yeah. But they they were demade onto the system and they play differently and they're great games. Yeah. They're yep. Great I played games. those. Yep. Um, this is one I was going to... Did you mention this, or did, was this one mine? This one, I have it down as mine. This one's yours, yeah. Okay. There's another one I almost put down, then I realized you already put it down, and I didn't want to steal your thunder. So, uh, This is cool to me. So, uh, I know, Eric, you really like the game Dead Cells. Oh, I uh, love it. I played in a bit of it, and I probably need to go back to it and try it again now that I con- understand the concept of a uh, procedurally generated roguelite yeah. <laughs> game. Um, but maybe this will make me go back. But uh, Dead Cells is releasing a, I'm sure it's a paid-for DLC at some point in quarter one, 2023, called Return to Castlevania. And it is the Dead Cells engine, and you are potentially... Now, the video that they show here is just some long animated thing, and if you're into that, it's well done and whatnot. But I want to see the gameplay, but it's... You know, Castlevania swords and whips fighting bad guys in the Dead Cell universe. That's interesting. Uh, and Dead Cells was my game of the year a few years back here on the show. Might have been the first year we did did the show. I don't know. That's right. It was, huh? Okay. I love Dead Cells. An amazing game. In fact, I've thought about repurchasing it so I can play it on my Steam Deck instead of on my Switch. Um, but if... If that DLC comes out, that would probably because you can find Dead Cells like on sale all the time on the Steam Deck. 
So I might have to rebuy that over there just so I can play it. Because uh, that looks that looks like it has the potential to be really cool. Sure, for sure. It's so like a mini, it's like a mini version of mini uh, little consoles. There you go. I was trying to make the segue for you, but you you already got me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I keep bringing these up because my hands are so big. I can't play these little tiny. They keep trying to shove, you know, make these little consoles smaller and smaller and smaller until it's kind of a joke. But yeah, you you have an Arctic boy, don't you? No, I do not. Okay, I I did the very very original Kickstarter, and I still have mine over there somewhere. It's like the mine's a little red Kickstarter edition Arju Boy, which has like about three hundred games on it, and it's it's already a very small little video game console. Mm-hmm. But now they're doing another. I think it's another Kickstarter to make the Arju Boy Mini, which is <laughs> this tiny. Look at that thing. Yeah, it's three thumb widths high and two thumb widths wide, and that thumb and a half wide. And I just don't know why they keep making these smaller and smaller. Soon they just won't be playable. <laughs> I'm, yeah, hopefully, I mean, and I have no problem with it, but hopefully they're making a few bucks off of this one. The last one probably broke even, so like, all right, let's do this. Yeah. Get some people to buy it. It costs us $2 to make. We can make a few bucks finally. Well, the cool thing so. about the Arter Boy is I used my kids used to love playing it when we would take it on trips a lot. There's there's the one mine looks like that one except mine's red. Um, we would I take it want on the trips original. a lot, and I could load up a bunch of games, and then they could play them in the car, and the battery lasted freaking forever. I mean, you didn't have to. We could take it away on a whole weekend, and they could play it nonstop, and it would never run out of battery. I kind of want the original Arja Boy now. Maybe I might pick up one of the original ones. The original ones are really, really cool. So um, I, 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 in fact, I remember when Flappy Bird was a big deal. We we threw Flappy Bird on there, and my kids just played that nonstop on a trip yeah. we went on, and like Perfect trying to get the high stuff. score. It was really cool. Um, but anyway, hey. this is the mini, and I just think it's kind of silly the how small it's getting. But well, if you is. want to, if you want to buy one, it's twenty nine dollars to pledge it. Okay. Or if you want the graffiti edition, which is probably just a different color or something, 34. However, if you're a school, Eric, and you want to pick up a 10 pack, yeah. only $240. So that, that's 24 each, right? Now, I will tell you why that's cool is that there is a very cool uh, development environment around the RG Boy to learn how to play, make games, and write games. And then you can download it instantly to your Audio Boy to actually test the game out real time while you're making the game. So I've seen their development kits and they're really cool. So if you did have a classroom that was learning how to do such a thing, it would be kind of neat to get a 10 pack of those and hand them out to kids to learn how to program on. That would be really neat. I'm paraphrasing here, but the one comment they have in the discussion on the Gizmodo page is a guy who says, can't play old eyes, fat fingers. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> true, true. True debt, true debt. Um, I want to bring up some a, a modern release, since we're talking about a lot of older stuff here. But according to Nintendo Life, uh, the next uh, HD 2D remake happening on the Switch in is uh, in the line of, oh, what's that game called? I'm just scroll down and see. Octopath Traveler, Eric. Yeah. Which, which I know you keep saying you want to go back to one day, but it's got a really cool like 3D, 2D mashup effect. Mm-hmm. They came out with that game, and then using that engine um, last year, uh, they came out with uh, Live a Live, which is a game that was originally on the NES. 
uh, I shouldn't, shouldn't say the NES on the Famicom. It never came to America, but they released it on the NES. And now the third game on that engine is going to be released, um, which is Dragon Quest Three HD 2D Remake. Wow. So if you've been wanting to try Dragon Quest Three, but the original game is a little too archaic for you, this thing is... Well, that's the original there. Here's the modern version of it, which looks like Octopath Traveler. <laughs> yeah, and the Octopath Traveler engine, that's the reason that I kind of want to go back. Those games are so beautiful. I mean, look yeah. at the graphics on that. It's so, so nice. You can't really even describe, like, it's hard to describe it over the phone, but it's, it's. I mean, they're like 2D paper cutouts that are made out of, like, original sprites that are somehow walking on this 3D plane in, in Yep. It it both looks right and wrong at the same time. I don't know how to describe it, but Yeah, it's like you're living in a in a diorama. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. You're, yep, a really nice like 8th grade diorama on a book report. <laughs> you're playing yeah, it. Exactly. Bug, super cool. That is cool. And I, I will tell you, I've tried to get into some Dragon Quest in the past and the older ones are a little old, like little clunky and old. And, you know, I might catch heck from some listeners to say that, but, um, I, that might be just the ticket for me to get into that kind of world. Yeah, no, it looks great. Here's one from Tim, uh, Eric, if you want to read us, uh, for Tim again, he's got five new games. It looks like from Rod and the team at the future was eight bit who have been busy working and releasing some eight bit games. Yep, so for people that don't know, the future was 8-bit is a UK-based place where they sell a lot of really great uh, games and hardware. Like, I know they sell, like, the um, SD2, IEC, and uh, Kung Fu Flash and stuff like that. Um, And a lot of these games come out on tape, and I believe most of these games, if not all of them, are on on tape in a great little hard case with a a great-looking logo. I have a bunch of them next to me here as well. Yeah. So the first one up here is S-G-A-T-B-G. I don't know what that means. Um, S-G-A-T-B-G. VIC-20 for the unexpanded VIC-20. Eric, I'll tell you what it means. It means snake games are the best games. Wow. Awesome. And they are. Some of those are really the the best games. But (laughs) this is on cassette. And it is. um, What is it? It's part of their $6.99 cassette range. Or. Sweet. Uh, if cassettes aren't your thing, I, I don't know if they have this one on cassette, but if cassettes aren't your thing, there's a uh, a nine ninety nine cartridge range, um, which I'm going to click on that real quick to see if um, that game is on there. No, it's not. It's not on there on a cartridge, but there you go. All right. Um, but yeah, it's a snake game. And the, the I mean, I like buying these for six ninety nine. I like buying them just that the the. the covers look so good just to put it on the shelf if nothing else i still load them up from my um my pen ultimate which is the sd card loading um device that they sell there as well at, yeah. at future was 8-bit um i'll cover the next one the next game that they have come out with is called wriggle attack or rigel, rigel. attack rigel? Isn't it rigel isn't that the star cluster is called rigel oh that's news to me um but apparently uh, that came out also on the VIC-20 with a plus 8K expansion pack, again, which is part of the Pen Ultimate package that includes the expansion pack with it. Yeah. And that looks like a pretty cool little vertical shmup, actually. Oh, it does. It looks pretty neat. Big, chunky graphics. You got the next one here. 
Okay, so the next one is Super Monza Grand Prix for the VIC-20 16K Expanded. That, looking at the, it is our first time looking at them, so we're all kind of uh, yeah. checking them out at the same time. Kind of like a pole position kind of a thing here. It looks almost exactly like a pole position kind of thing, but it looks, I mean, big, chunky graphics, but I mean, it does look like it's a... Uh, a nice little racing game. And for people that don't know, the Commodore VIC-20 was a Commodore computer, but it came it came with literally like 5K of RAM, 3K usable. So, <laughs> and it was my first computer I ever owned at home. And it really, you really just had to get a mem- memory expansion for that bad boy to do anything meaningful on it. Um, I did have a lot, I never had a memory expansion when I was a kid. So I would just get cartridge games because cartridge games could have memory built into them. So, you know, it's kind of nice n- nice in that way. But for people that don't know, that's that's kind of the gist of what we keep saying about the memory expansion. And I talk about the game Pumpkin all the time on the show. It's <coughs> like my by far my favorite VIC-20 game. That is also on um, the Future Was 8-Bit for their 699 range. So pick, pick that game up and throw a couple more in the cart. Yeah. Here's another next new one, one. Yep, Toxic Frenzy for the Commodore 64. Only three left right now, Eric. So, oh boy, get on there and get it. So it's six ninety nine for the cassette. It. I don't know what kind of game this is. It's hard, even hard to tell from the from the picture. It almost looks to me. It's very brightly colored. It almost looks to me like a um, a game and watch type game where you're the, a black character. Yeah, um, like an all black LCD liquid crystal display character that you move around uh, into predetermined locations. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Have not checked it out yet, but um, and even says game. Game and Miss right here. So I think that's absolutely what they're going for is the Game and Watch thing. Yeah. And then last but not least, TJ's TJ's Cavern Caper. I'm guessing the big picture of the uh, guy on the front here looks like Santa Claus without a hat uh, is TJ. And uh, this is actually part of the ZX Spectrum for the 48K and 128K line. Okay. And it looks like a uh, single screen platformer type of game here so it looks check nice all too. those games out uh, i will probably be ordering all those to put them on my shelf and then uh absolutely giving them a shot as well so very cool thank you tim for sending those in yeah uh, i wanted to mention a game that just came out by the classic company that if you remember a, maybe a year year and a half ago i mentioned that 3d realms was officially becoming a company again yeah you did originally Ap- Ap- originally apple apogee became 3d realms when they made games such as Duke Nukem and Shadow Warrior and all those kind of tongue-in-cheek, super machismo, over-the-top first-person shooters. And all their games ran on the Build Engine, which is a, a really cool engine I like. It was kind of in between Doom and Quake. It was this um, uh, first-person shooter engine where things were flat still, but you could still... There were 3D areas, but with thra- flat sprites that moved around. Nonetheless, uh, they came out with a new game here, and their little thing here, even uh, their video shows um, kind of the gritty uh, game engine, even in its uh, explanation of the game. But the game is called Cultic, and it's interesting because um, here's the here's the gameplay. You can tell it looks like looks like it feels and looks like Duke Nukem, but it's definitely a darker, creepy. And I'm going to say it again, even though it comes up all the time, and I'm super happy about it, Eric. Cthulhu. It looks very <laughs> cultist Cthulhu, uh, like abandoned warehouse, like cults being set up in these places, kind of a gameplay. And it's funny because I was literally just on the last um, episode talking about how I've been playing the, the first person shooter Dusk, 
yeah. which is like a quake-like game where you attack like cultists and in farmhouses and churches and things. And this is pretty much that style of game as well, but with the 3D Realms build engine. So it came out, I think it's nine ninety nine on Steam right now, and you know I'm going to be playing this thing. Uh, it looks pretty cool. Overwhelmingly positive review, too. That's right, pretty, right? It's, a, it's a good sign. So you actually, actually yeah, it's out of like 3,000 <clears throat> reviews. It came out on October 13th. So old news, but news to me. Yep. This is the one I was going to mention if you didn't, Eric, but you did. So I did. I threw this in here today, too. Um, the first Vampire Survivors DLC is coming later this month. And, that, and when I say later, the same day this podcast drops. So it's December 15th. Um, for two bucks, you can get Legacy of Moon Spell. Was that what it's called? <laughs> it's not even two bucks. It's a buck ninety nine. But yeah, buck ninety nine. There we go. So you can get um, the expansion, which is going to add, I think, new characters, a couple of some new weapons, stuff like that. Um, and if you don't know what Vampire Survivors is, we talk about it all the time. It's a very retro inspired game where you it's like an arena kind of game where you run around and you don't fire at all. It's just movement. But every time you collect these little jewels, you get like bonus what like it, it gives you choices of what kind of weapons to add on to your character. And the game is a phenomenon at this point. I mean, I, I, I read about it everywhere. Everyone's talking about it. Um, it literally just came out of early access kind of beta just not that long ago, right? Just a couple months ago. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> by so, by play, paying $2 for the DLC, which I will absolutely do, that's the same mm-hmm. amount I paid for the game. Yeah. Um, when it came out of early access, it became four ninety nine because it was already a big hit. And this guy's already a multimillionaire. He's, he's good to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it looks like it's going to add... Uh, over a dozen new weapons, uh, eight more playable characters, six music tracks, and all kinds of unlockables to add to the, the huge amount of existing unlockables. So, Have you unlocked all the characters yet in the first one? Uh, I got pretty close, and then um, I haven't touched it in a couple weeks now, but I'm sure I'll get back on that horse again. I haven't. In fact, I've, I've only unlocked maybe like half of them. i got to get back okay. to it. Yep. Yeah, it, the, once you flip the switch in the game, all of a sudden, just every time you play a, a game, it lasts a half an hour, you unlock eight things every time. It just gets nuts. Yeah. It's a game of excess. Yeah. Somehow, it's, if I had to describe it, it's a game of minim, minimalist excess. <laughs> I mean, there's, the game is you press up, down, left, or right, and there's like a thousand things you can unlock. It's just nuts. Yeah. So, anyways, Vampire Survivors DLC... Pick it up for two bucks. Uh, I was laughing about this over on Retro Dodo again. They okay. ma- mentioned that there is another game that sounds like it might be heading our way in the movie theaters. Um, Sega licensed games already that we mentioned, Space Channel 5 and Comic Zone, which are very unlikely. But um, it sounds like the next game, which is... Uh, I'm trying to see the wording they used here, except a bunch of ads popped up in my way because it's Retro Dodo. Um, apparently it's in development is how they said it. And that is a movie based on the game Toe Jam and Earl. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> what they can make out of this. this Excuse is, me. I can't imagine how it would be good. Um, Toe Jam and Earl, of course, being the, the Genesis game. It's actually two games, the original and uh, Panic on Funkotron, the second game. But 
these two crazy like monsters there's one big guy with sunglasses and this little guy who looks like a uh, flavor flave but with the uh, three legs instead of four i don't know it's i don't know how that works but interesting that uh, how are they get is that oh man i have so many questions <laughs> Like, I mean, is that going to be a live action? Is it going to be an animated movie? I mean, who? it's got to be an animated movie, right? I, I would hope so. I can't imagine that being live action without looking terrible, even if it's CG or, like, costumes. Either way, it's going to look terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. That's crazy. Well, all right. So uh, one reason I threw this in here is, is, and I'll just tell you the headline here, Metal Gear Solid 3 remake rumors intensify following new evidence. And we'll link to the article so you can, the articles on uh, comicbook.com. But um, I wanted to ask you, mainly this thing piqued my interest. Were you ever into Metal Gear games at all, Cody? I have never played a Metal Gear game outside of the original, I shouldn't say the original, but the the NES ones. Okay. Because the first one I ever played was not on NES. It was Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation, the first one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've never played a Metal Gear Solid game, which is kind of its own thing, but yeah. It it is its own thing, but I remember that game being um, one of the first games I ever played that was, for lack of a better term, like a blockbuster game. You know what I Uh mean? Like it was, everyone was losing their minds about this game, and I remember getting the PlayStation and going and picking it up and like, holding it in my hands and going, Oh wow, this is what all the fuss is about. <laughs> and I, and my, my memories are really vague of the game itself, to be honest. It just, for some reason, it's just kind of a blank spot in my memory, but I do remember playing it a lot and really enjoying it. Um, but after that, I never played another metal gear game after that until kind of my retro revival. And I went back and played the one on NES and I played the one on MSX, which is where it all started and uh playing some of the original ones but metal gear solid 3 snake eater is often referenced as one of the very best in the entire series okay. um by some people and it looks like a a remake might be coming sooner than later according to the rumors so there'll be very a cool. link in the show notes that link to this uh to this what the, their evidence is i don't know what that what that is but Something to check out. So the, potentially there could be a remake of Metal Gear Solid 3. That sounds cool. Yep. All right. The next item on my list is that Sega of America apparently is opening a new office in Irvine, California that they are sharing with Atlas. Now, this is exciting to me. Um, yeah. Uh, I have the article here from Nintendo Life, but that I mean, that's the whole story. But what's cool about that is that Sega has been shutting down and selling large buildings in Japan and stuff. So it seems like they were doing a kind of a, a clearing of a, of clearing of houses and um, yeah. trying to, you know, do whatever they can to stay alive. It felt like they were in that, that mode and maybe they still are, but um, they're going to like cost gonna, cutting and they were mainly yep. becoming a software development or, or basically just relicensing their stuff. Right. I, apparently, but yeah, so they're, they're opening, they're opening an office in this case and it's right here in California. So, cool. um, Hopefully that leads to good things, and that's the whole that's the whole news item there. But glimmer of hope. That's good news, though. That's good news. Absolutely, it's the, we want to get we want them to get out of the mud. Oh, nice transition. <laughs> so, 
There is a new game out for the Commodore 64 called Muddy Racers, which is pretty cool. It is a game that's kind of like off-road where you're racing around this kind of pseudo-isometric, three-dimensional-ish kind of track. And you race around and you try to come in first and the little coins will drop and you collect the coins, which allows you to do upgrades on your vehicle. Um, this game does really look super cool. So I do plan on getting this. I didn't have time before recording to actually grab it to test it out. But um, it's been a little while in the making, but there is a physical copy that you can go buy from ProtoVision as well as a digital download. So check it out if you are, if you are a fan of kind of off-road and those kind of isometric little racers, uh, muddy racers. And it, they have a version, as a lot of people do now, for the 64, Mini and Maxi. So even if you don't have a real Commodore, you can get a version for your Commodore 64, the 64. Yeah. And we do, all of us on the show, love these kind of games. I mean, these are these little racers are one of our favorites. So I played this game, I want to say, about a year ago, maybe not a year ago. And it must have been a demo version. Um, okay. But yeah, no, it's very uh, very up our alley. And it, it to me, it looks... I would call to this point. I would call it an off-road clone, in a good yeah. way, like a chunky off-road, little simpler tracks, but um, the graphics match the Commodore uh, graphic style and palette really well. So, yeah, very cool. And for I think it's five ninety-nine euros. So is that like eight bucks, something like that? Yeah. Yep. Let's pick that up. Um, I wanted to bring out, uh, bring this up because it was cool. I, I completely saw this when I logged in uh, onto you know my computer for work, and all of a sudden Google popped up, and I'm like, wait a minute, I know that guy. I don't know him, yeah. but, and it was super cool. But uh, Google went ahead and did one of their Google Doodles, you know, for the day, and they honored Jerry Lawson. Um, I have to hit no gracias. Apparently, this is a Hispanic page, uh, but they paid a tribute to him on 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 Google and did a little, you know, as they do a little kind of animation in their Google bar of uh, Jerry Lawson, who was the creator of the Fairchild Channel F, and thus the first creator of a console that used cartridges. He created the yeah. the, the cartridge-based system uh, in the Fairchild Channel F, and uh, doesn't get a lot of credit for it, but I would say over the last couple of years, his name's come up a lot more, and... Uh, you know, in, in large part, he comes up in February a lot because he was a black man who, you know, kind of got lost in the shuffle. And so a lot of people are bringing that to attention uh, to make sure he got the credit. Luckily, he actually got inducted, I think, into the Video Game History Hall of Fame. I think that's what it was. Um, the year before he, he passed away. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he got to see some recognition before he passed away. Supposedly, so Ben Jedwards, which is uh, yeah. a guy that is a kind of a video game historian. He's on a lot of different podcasts. He runs his own website. He got to interview him uh, a few years ago, and the interview was really good. And the guy just seemed like a totally good guy, like just seemed very friendly, very knowledgeable, very straightforward. I mean, it, it it's, he seemed like a really, really great guy and he's just not heard enough about, I mean, what he did was pretty revolutionary for the whole video game industry. So which is funny. Which is funny because a lot of engineers are terrible interviews, but they get interviewed all the time. You're right. <laughs> You're right. 
Um, and then I've got one more thing I wanted to put on here. Uh, it's not a news item, but I thought it'd be fun to go over this because uh, I was on Retro Dodo, and of course they had to bring up the 10 most rare Atari games and how much they're worth, Eric. These are always fun to dig through, so... I'm, yeah. Let's be honest, I'm reading an article that's on the internet. That's what I'm doing right now. But um, it's funny because I always, you know, we always go on eBay or our local auction sites, um, you know, your your Facebook marketplace, and you see a big old pile of Atari games. And I'm sure you do the same thing I do, Eric, and you're like, I wonder if there's any, like, rare ones in there, right? Yeah. And they got to exist somewhere. And I dig through there, and I find a couple I've never seen. I'm like, that looks expensive. And you look it up, and it's worth $2. And you're like, nope, that's not expensive at all. Right. Um so here's the ones that are rare, apparently, according to Retro Dodo, and worth money. So I'll just go through this, and Eric, let me know if you've heard of any of these. So number 10 is The Music Machine, which is a, a nope. music-based game, apparently. The Music Machine goes for about... I'm going to go... I'm just going to talk loose, because packaged games are always stupid, but $600 loose. So if you see The Music Game, or The Music... What was it? The Music Machine... Yeah, you got some money there. Keep that in mind. The next one here, I, I've never heard of, but it looks like a straight up ripoff of River Raid, uh, made by Tiger Vision. It's called River Patrol, which huh. is funny because the cover art looks like Park Patrol. But the game, yeah, I was gonna say that I, I was kind of in my mind confused. I was like, is that Park Patrol? But the no. cover looks like Park Patrol, and the game looks like River Raid, and it's called River Patrol. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Uh, so if you see a copy of this out there, you can expect to uh, fetch seven hundred dollars for it. Uh, next game is a game with a big shark on the front. No, it's not Shark Shark. It's Lockjaw, spelt L-O-C-H, like Loch Ness, I guess. Yeah. Uh, looks like some kind of a la- you know Maze Labyrinth Pac-Man-style game here. Uh, that cartridge goes for $750. Um, now, this is an interesting one because when you first see this, you go, wait a minute. I know that game. I know that game very That's well. That's Atlantis. Yeah. Atlantis by Magic. But this apparently is Atlantis 2. And if you look at the cover, it just says Atlantis or New Atlantis on it. But someone put a sticker right over the top that says Atlantis 2. Um, Weird. My guess, I didn't. I haven't read this yet, actually, but my guess, uh, here we go. A competition was run by Magic in which players of Atlantis were encouraged to send photos of their high scores. Players who submitted the high scores winning a copy of the specially produced Atlantis 2, which was essentially a more challenging version of the original game. Um, so, because of that, it's one of the rarest games, worth $800. And I think the only reason it's a normal-looking version, except they crank up the difficulty and put a, a like typed label Atlantis 2 over the cover art. <laughs> All right. Uh, karate. Not Karataka, but Karate. Karate by Ultravision. Uh, looks terrible. It does look terrible. One-on-one fighter game. That might set you back a cool $1,100. Wow. We're getting there. We're getting there. This game looks amazing. Magicard. It's a white label with some black writing that says Magicard by Comovid, Inc. And uh, it's not even a game, apparently. It is some sort of programming programming software yeah. something like that i don't know what okay. under 2600 <laughs> that's going to set you back 1200 dollars. this one everyone knows pepsi invaders yeah we've all loaded that up on our sd cards and it's space invaders but at the top it says coke and you shoot pepsi <laughs> the, the word Weird. pepsi as they come down the screen because man if you're really going to try to stick it to the competition you just want to shoot their logo um 125 of these were manufactured 
And you're looking at $1,500 to $1,800. Wow. Next, we have Eli's Ladder. came out in 1982 and looks terrible to the point where yeah. I can't even tell you what kind of game it is. Um, that one's going to set you back $2,600, which is funny because that's the number of the system. Yeah. Uh, and then here's the last two. Now, this is interesting because they're second to last. Now, keep in mind, this is the most rare Atari games. The second, second to last most rare Atari game is called Red Sea Crossing, in which it's a biblical game in which you are Moses parting the Red Sea and trying to cross it. Um, Why does Moses look like a, like an orangutan? <laughs> yeah, he, he looks like King Louis from uh, from Jungle Book. Yeah. With his hmm, weird. cane. Um, so apparently there's only two of these ever made, to anybody's knowledge. Wow, that's pretty rare. <laughs> so you'd think that's got to be the most rare, but it's not. It's the second most rare. Um, in 2012, uh, a game, one of these games sold for $10,000. Nothing sold since. So you'd think number one game, well, if it's more rare, it's got to be only one cartridge. But no, the game is Air Raid, which I've heard of. Yeah. In fact, that's the one that recently sold at a, uh, at a uh, what was it, a Goodwill. And uh, someone found it. And there are 13 copies known to exist. So this list is wrong. They put it in the wrong order, my friends. Um, but they put it as their number one because these come up for sale every once in a while. And they, you know, loose cartridge, uh, $3,500. More recently, $10,500. So I guess because it went for a little bit more and people hear about it more, they put it as their number one most rare game, even though it's more common than the last one. There you go. 10 most rare Atari games. I need to I need to look out for these. I really need to find one of these someday. And it kills me because I found one to a point. Yeah. Not knowing that I found one. I sold it for, a, for pennies compared to what it's worth. If you remember oh, when I got man. that big Atari haul. Yeah. I can't complain because I got a great deal on the whole haul. But it came with a copy on the 5200 of Bounty Bob Manic Miner Strikes Back. Yeah. And of course, I look up the cartridge, and the cartridge when it sells, you know, it goes for like eighty bucks. It's rareish, but I had the uh, the poster. Oh wow! And I and the poster, I'm like, I don't know how much this goes for, but I don't want to lose my butt, so let me just put it up for like a hundred bucks, and maybe someone will buy it. But I'll but I'll put a buy it now at like two hundred just in case. Within thirty seconds, somebody bought it for two hundred, and I did some research, and yeah, that poster alone is probably worth a thousand bucks. Oh but man! You know what? I can't complain because I got it for pennies. So, yeah, I gave someone a good deal. I got a good deal. Let's move on with life. Eric, you have one last news. Oh no, we have a couple more. We have a couple more here. A couple more, and this one I just put in like right before the show started. So our friend Juan J Martinez, yeah, who he's written a bunch of games that we really like. He just came out with this game, I think, um, just just literally like a few days ago. Yeah, I haven't heard of it yet. This game is called Hyperdrive. It is a shmup for the Amstrad CPC. Uh, if you go to his website, you can just download it, which I have downloaded. I haven't played it yet, though. But um, it is um, it, it's very colorful. It looks like very. it's really cool. You chain together um, attacks like in a shmup. So, I mean, there's a lot of like little strategies to this game. I watched a little bit of video footage before I posted this. Um, it looks really cool. Amstrad CPC, if you're interested, um, 
I, I've always loved all the games that Juan's made for the MSX and for C64 and various other machines. Um, I'm looking forward to trying this out, and I'm going to throw him a little change. He has a little link in the, sh- in the uh, website that we'll have in our show notes that you can just download this for free, but you can also just send him a little, uh, like he says, a little cup of coffee on the Co- Kofi site. You know, oh, the- yeah, Kofi. Yep, so you can send him a little... Uh, donation that way if you enjoy the game but i i'm definitely going to try this out he always makes winners yeah and amstrad it looks like an amstrad game i can tell you just by looking at it it's cool because he he mentions how you can play it and in my case i can scroll down here to the m4 board which is i what i have for my amstrad 464 and yep. it, and it covers it so cool man yeah yeah I, and the graphics i saw in this game look look amazing so absolutely so the last news item was just yeah. me patting our back, Eric. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I like yep. it when we self-validate. <laughs> so I, I was reading into on the IGN, the website, yeah. uh, some of their best of the year games. Now, by the way, uh, next episode, I'll go ahead and, and, and plug the next episode. So next episode is going to be our end of the year special, which yeah. is our fancy way of saying instead of... Uh, doing certain segments we're going to talk about our favorite games of the year favorite beers of the year all kinds of stuff like that but ign um released their you know favorite games of the year and when it came down to their best action games of 2022 out of the five nominated games we have talked up three of them a lot which is cool because they're talking about all action games even the you know yeah. the big first party games the multi-million billion whatever it is dollar blockbusters but on their list is cult of the lamb which i was a huge fan of yes vampire survivors yep which we've we've talked up quite a bit teenage mutant ninja turtles shredder's revenge which we all got and all <laughs> very much enjoyed and then the other two games on there were Bayonetta 3 and a game called Sifu. Now, Sifu actually is something I have to look into. I, I, that, I haven't heard of that one yet, but it looked pretty cool. Yeah, I, I've heard of both of those, but I haven't played either one of them. And then the other thing I noticed is they put, uh, I, I was looking at all their lists on their uh, honorable mention or their, their nominated games for best racing game. They mentioned a game I had not heard of yet, Eric. Horizon Chase 2. Yeah, uh, we 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 talked up a lot of Horizon Chase, but I, I have not heard that there was a second version. Exactly. So when I saw it, I'm like, what, what, what? And I looked into it, and apparently it's amazing. And Is it, it out? It, it's out. Currently, it is only on Apple Arcade. Uh, so I'm going to wait well, for no. them to get past that and release it on the other systems, just like all their other games, and then we will be playing ourselves some Horizon Chase 2. I'll tell you that right. Oh, that's now. a bummer. It's only on Apple Arcade. I don't. I don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. To their credit, Apple made a good choice in in trying to corner that market before. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that signed up to play that game. Which we, if if it never came out on anything else, I would be enticed. But um, yeah, there we go. Right on. All right, Eric. That is the end of our news segment. Except that I want to talk about the news of our show sponsor, yeah, RetroRewind.ca. What was that name, Eric? RetroRewind.ca slash forward slash Pixel Guiden. Do that so that we get credit when you go to the sh- the shop. It'll say, "Hey, these guys are Pixel Guiden fans as well." 
So you heard us on the show already today talking about the Commodore 64. You heard us talking about the Commodore 128. Uh, you heard us talking about the Amiga and the, even the Tandy Color computer. You didn't hear us talk about the Commodore 16 or Plus 4 today, but these are all computers that you can go to RetroRewind.ca to spruce up, uh, modernize, fix, add uh, SD card solutions so you can play all the games uh, without having to load things or run tapes or any of that uh, craziness. So uh, head on down to RetroRewind.ca and you can get everything you want from the Amiga coin cell battery adapter, so you can get the darn batteries out, as Josh Malone says. Yes. And put a coin cell battery in there that won't leak and destroy your Amiga computers. You can get all the diagnostic cartridges you need for the Commodore, for the Coco, um, for the 128. They're all here, so you can check out what is wrong with your failing computers and get them up and running again. Um, if you need any ROMs, such as the Amiga Kickstart ROMs, you can buy them right here from Frank at RetroRewind.ca. Um, but what you really want to do, if you're new to the hobby, uh, is not only get these SD card solutions so you can load up all the games and things, programs yourself without any fuss, but you want to make sure your computer is going to be lasting a long time, or if it's not quite up to snuff now, send it down. Just stick it in the mail. Send it down to yeah. Frank. And for a low, low price, which you can see right here on the website, he will recap your unit. Or if there's another issue, he will uh, give you a call and let you know, I, I believe, how much how it's going to cost and uh, fix that thing up for you. Send it back to your house. It's very reasonable. Um, it's honestly, even though you're sending it to Canada, it's the cheapest I've seen somebody do this stuff. And Frank does an excellent Absolutely. job. Eric's had a number of things fixed by Frank. Yep. And let, let me tell you, so let's say that uh, like a machine that I have has regular old radial capacitors on it. You know, the big fat capacitors, the that, leaky ones, the leaky ones. Yeah. But those big fat ones, if there's not a lot of them on a motherboard, I will do it myself. And you can use Frank to buy a capacitor kit. So That's let's true. say you want to do it yourself. You just r- ring them up, go to go to the website, order a capacitor kit, have them send it to you and do it yourself. Now, if there are SMD capacitors on there, the surface-mounted ones, I suck at those. <laughs> I am bad, and I will destroy any motherboard that I try to replace those. Okay, I'm not. Listen, I'm. I'm just not. I'm not going to try to sell myself in that. I'm not good at it. So, I like and and the CD32, my beloved Amiga CD32. Oh yeah, that thing's worth some money. You don't want to screw that up. Nope. I open it up. I look in there. There's SMD caps as well as the old big fat radio caps. So guess what? I send it to Frank. I could not believe how quickly he turned it around. Did a, just a bang up professional job on it. Shipping wasn't that expensive both ways. It, it it was a joy to work with Frank on this. And this was even, was it before he they were sponsors of the show? I think it was. It was when you got yours fixed. Yeah. Yep, when I got mine fixed, we it, it was just, hey, I need this done. Boom, Bob's your uncle. It was done, and it, and he did a brilliant job on it. And and that's a bit of a I bummer do- because you could have saved ten percent, Eric. I could have, I could have saved ten percent if you just had- by using the code PG ten. So keep in mind, if you uh, head on down to frank at RetroRewind.ca, go ahead and log in. Make sure you're signed up and logged in, and then you can type in code PG ten to save ten percent off. Again, that's yep. PG as in Pixel Guide in 10. And thank you to our show sponsor, RetroRewind.ca. Yes, indeed.
you said something about a motherboard there, and I thought you were going in a different direction. Because you said, "What I, do you mean?" <laughs> you said, "I can't remember what you said exactly." But you said, "Like, I'm not going to pretend that I can fix that motherboard." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" Yeah. No, we're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> we got to each have a button next to us that's like the sensor button. Where, like, where? <laughs> All right, real quick, I think it's time for us to hop on in and hear what I have to say in Cody's Corner. Cody's Corner! All right, welcome back to part two of the Sega Genesis Shmup Collection Extravaganza. I started this uh, with part one back on the last episode of Pixel Guide In, episode number 95, and I'm playing through all of the Jega... <laughs> the Sega Genesis uh, shmups, and that again is uh, you know shoot 'em ups, um, vertical or horizontal shoot 'em ups on the system, with the you know very uh, a couple exceptions. So I co- I covered I think twenty five games in the first episode, and I'm covering about twenty five games this episode, um, and at the end I'll try to give you the the highlights if you will. Um, so go back to that episode if you want to catch up. Starting right on off, uh, the next game that I covered here is Gynug. Now, I mentioned the name Gynug, but the game is actually called Wings of War here in the USA. It is a horizontal shmup with um, kind of like this Thorish angel-looking dude. Uh, you know, the game is uh, it's very uh, it's another one of these very Sega Genesis e shmups. Lots of uh, power-ups, you know, your speed uh, and your power power-ups. This game has a lot of projectiles in a very unique shape so when you get powered up um your shot goes into like a v and then if you add another power up it goes into like a wider v with a third shot down the center and so you kind of i don't know how to explain that better you don't shoot straight forward you shoot like in a 30 degree pattern that keeps getting wider maybe 45 degree if you get enough power ups um kind of unique there's some very cool background effects um where there's a lot of warping and um uh, almost Super Nintendo like Mode Seven kind of like effects going on in the background with this game. However, um, uh, it, the level design was kind of it, it was a, a cool visual aesthetic, but as far as gameplay, the the patterns of the enemies and the level design itself was kind of uninspired. Um, there's a, the, the first boss was very how do I say this very phallic looking it's very interesting um, I do enjoy the fact that it has a lot of popcorn enemies again um, these are enemies that you know one hit kills and you throw them all over the screen and you feel like really powerful because you're just blowing through all these things um, the music is decent and but the sound is kind of tinny so I like the actual tunes themselves but um, didn't give off a, a whole lot of oomph if you will I gave this one overall AC. Uh, the next game I have here on the list was Magic Girl, which I have never even heard of this shmup. It is a vertical uh, scrolling shooter, which is, let's be honest, a straight-up ripoff of Twinkle Star Sprites. Um, the game is very, very bright, very colorful, very Japanese, right? Um, thick outlines, bright characters that all have faces on them. Uh, lots of very bizarre enemies you know um household items and food items with faces on them that are coming down the screen for whatever reason music is like overly sappy happy um which is a good thing these are all so far most of the stuff is a good thing uh what i do know 
Um, oh, and, and there's even kind of like in Twinkle Star Sprites, you know, where the bells come down, you shoot them, they change color and bounce back up the screen until you have the power-up you want. It even kind of replicates that, although they're not bells, they're a different type of kind of, um, I can't remember what exactly it is, but you shoot it, it bounce back up the screen. So I'm a straight-up rip-off of that game. Uh, enemies and bullets are absolutely everywhere for kind of no reason, unfortunately. Um so it ends up getting very repetitive. You see the same enemies throughout the entire game. You do have a life bar, which is uh, a little unique in that you can get hit a number of times. But when you do this, it's really, really annoying, like beep, beep, uh, to, to prove when you got hit. It very much seems like an afterthought. Um, and when they got all this stuff on the screen, it actually got very, very choppy. Um, not just slowdown, but even just the standard gameplay, uh, gameplay seems like it's at a very low frame rate and kind of uninspired. Um, kind of fun at first, but ultimately a slog to play. I gave this one a D. Moving right along, we have an entry by Taito. This game is actually a vertical scrolling shoot uh, shooter, which I've also not heard of, Master of Weapons. I've probably never heard of this game because it sounds so generic. I just thought it was like a terrible beat-em-up or something. But the game is actually uh, surprisingly um, fantastic. I wouldn't say fantastic. Um very good. It is um, un- unique in the fact that it is um, a well. <laughs> it's unique in the fact that it's very much like Zevius. Is that is that a saying? Um, the game I call this kind of like a super Zevius, if you will. It is it is kind of an old school arcade feel, but souped up for a 16-bit era uh, in a good way. Um, it even has kind of the you know very um, grid-like city backgrounds on some levels um you're a quite a large ship you're able to shoot of course in front of you with lots of power-ups and cool uh, weapons to gain but you also have a little reticle a little further in front of you which allows you to hit a secondary button um you know bombing the ground and, and things that go on below you which works really well in this game just like it does in Zevius. um Power-ups all over the place. They have those power-ups that when you when you shoot an enemy, they pop out and kind of spin in a spiral slowly down towards you. Um, it can be a game where you want certain power-ups and try to avoid other ones, but eventually you get really, really powerful. Lots of sound effects going on. Um, very Genesis-y, uh, like music, as you're going through laser beams and things like that. And, of course, you have a, a large bomb to bomb um, the screen as well. But... Um, it's a hard game, and uh, the note the and, and it's not bad a bad thing. It's a, it's a hard game, but it's good. Very creative bosses. I put down here. It's like Zevius, but bigger, faster, and funner. Um, it does get very hard. However, initially it was going to give it a C. I wrote or I'm sorry, a B, and then I looked at it a little bit more and thought maybe because of the difficulty getting at some point maybe a C somewhere in between there. I'll give the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give this one a B. Now, this next game is an interesting one, and I should go ahead and, and remind everybody, uh, and especially if people haven't listened to my last um, episode, part one here, uh, the, some of these reviews I'm doing are fairly in-depth uh, as far as my time with the game or experience with the game, and some of them are, to be, to be completely honest, um, me just playing through them for 20 minutes to an hour and getting a good feel for the game. Um, you know, if it's good, obviously I end up playing it a bunch more, and if I can just, I can hardly stomach the first level, then it is what it is. So they're not, these are kind of initial reviews. Um, and that kind of touches on this next one, which is interesting. So this game is called Mega Swiv from Time Warner Interactive and SCI. Now, 
when I start, as soon as I loaded this game up, I instantly saw some graphics that told me this feels like a European Amiga type game. Um, the sound effects seem like samples, which is again very Amiga, even though um, I know they have to be synthesized for the uh, for the Genesis. But um, and I'll tell you something else interesting about it in a second. So it's it's a helicopter shooter. Caveat. Um, gorgeous graphics, really well done. Um, sound of the sound effects, excellent music. It sounds really good. Uh, a bit uninspired, but um, but sounds great. And the enemies have a good feel again because <coughs> it has that <coughs> excuse me Amiga shooter feel. Um, a lot of the enemies take more than one hit. Um, and the one negative thing I'll say about the gameplay is it does that thing I don't care for, where it's a very wide angle vertical scrolling shmup where you can scroll left and right and like the background will almost go a full screen to one side and a full screen to the other. So it's really like three times as wide as it is tall, the play field. And I've never been a fan of that, especially when there's stuff on both sides of the quote unquote play field. And you can do that thing where you just hide on one side of the screen. So the enemies never show up on the screen on the other side and don't shoot you. I don't know. It's, it's always kind of been a thing for me. Um, but here's what's interesting. I, the name sounded kind of familiar, and I had to look it up and be like, is this, is this an Amiga shooter or not? And sure enough, it absolutely is an original Amiga shooter. I'm sure it was ported over to the Genesis, so I knew it right off the bat just feeling it. However, there's something else that seemed familiar about it to me. And when I just looked it up, it also um, dawned on me that this game is also on the Super Nintendo under the name Firepower 2000. Now, I have that game. I have that cartridge, but I'm like, man, I... I can guarantee you that was a like a tank shooter, some kind of a tank shooter. So I was looking at some video of it and didn't realize this game, even though I just told you it's a helicopter shooter, the whole gameplay changes. You can hop into the option menu and change it to a tank. And at that point, you're still doing up, right, left, and, and down. The, the game doesn't seem to change a whole lot. But now you can shoot in the direction your tank is going as well. It really changes the gameplay altogether. Um, and I believe on the Super Nintendo version, you start as the tank, and the option would be to change you to the helicopter. I could be wrong on that, but I know Firepower 2000 right on the cover is a tank, and um, and uh, anyways, it's it's I think it's a more of a tank game that way. So try it both ways. Either way, it's actually a, an excellent game. I usually say games that are quote unquote excellent on the Amiga typically end up being kind of okay <laughs> games on the Genesis. Um, not because they're any different, more just because the Genesis seems to have a much stronger library, in my opinion. I also have to comment really quick on the weapon system, which is awesome. Uh, you hold down B to shoot constantly, and it's a nice, fast, rapid fire. If you press A, your shot will change between a normal like white dot shooting up the screen to a... Um, they call it plasma. They're kind of s- s- larger blue dots. Um that kind of react differently to enemies. And then my favorite is the third option, which is this kind of flamethrower. And, of course, you can power up these weapons and make them bigger. Um, and then you can collect, if you want to call them bombs, they're not really bombs, but you'll get a lot of these certain enemies will, will blow up, and all these power-ups come out and start spinning around in a circle, and you can pick them all up. And you'll see little letters in the corner of your screen, like X and H. And those are kind of your next secret weapon, and you can use them. Um, like the X will shoot out these homing missiles. H shoots out these gi- gigantic um, missiles that go right up the center of the screen for you. Um, so some unique uh, weapon ideas as well here. I really like this game. 
I'm excited that I am enjoying an Amiga game. I think I would love to go back and try it on the Amiga now, and I'm going to give this one a solid B. Thelios is a game by Namco, and if you've ever played Legendary Wings on the NES, this almost seems like a um, reimagined version of that game. It definitely has that heavy-duty fantasy theme, and in fact, there's kind of RPG elements to a lot of this game, but it is a, a vertical scrolling shooter. Um, I believe it's unique to the Genesis. On the side of the screen, there's a very small kind of arcade bar, if you will, but it's very small. And it shows a giant sword, which fills up uh, a large meter, and when you let go, it releases a large blast. And that's a big part of the gameplay element here. Um, there's a couple other stats on that side of the screen, including your score. But the main thing here is you are a uh, like a knight riding a flying pegasus and fighting all kinds of uh, fantasy creatures. Um, the first boss, for example, is a gorgon, or if you want to call it a medusa. Uh, even though Medusa was a Gorgon, but I'm nerding out. Um, game is very unique. It's pretty. Um, the music has kind of... Uh, the music is, is interesting. It's actually very RPG. I feel like I'm almost I'm playing like a, a fantasy star type of game when I'm listening to the music rather than a shmup. But it's good. Um, the I, I really enjoy the boss battles. They're creative and unique and different. And... Um, just the, the moment-to-moment gameplay is solid. Uh, there's some pretty cool scenes where you're flying over. You can tell you're way, way up in the air looking down. There's clouds going by, but the background below that is going by really fast. It can be a little bit disorienting, a little bit busy, and um, if, you're, if you're a little queasy, weak in the stomach, it might make you a little nauseous, to be completely honest with you. Um, but ultimately, I really love the game. In addition to the charge-up weapon, you also gain, of course, speed-ups. And instead of necessarily power-ups, you get options. So just kind of like in Gradius, you get the extra little orbs that follow behind you that can do extra shots. You get quite powerful. This is a game that I would highly recommend for people who... um, I mean, I love it. I don't care. But uh, for people who are maybe new to the genre or just not good at shmups, even though they like them and they want to get far in one, it's an easier game. And um, but it's still very enjoyable and still kind of strategic and uh, and I love it very much. I, I I'm gonna give it a B, but it's it's bordering near A category for me as well, just for the sheer playability of it. Um, only let down by a few kind of quality issues. Um, just kind of you know the the visuals, and music aren't amazing, and it's not overly complex with anything new. It's just a good solid shmup. So I'll give it a B. B plus something like that. Up next, we have the Genesis port of Raiden Trad. Uh, this is, I believe, just Raiden, but on the Genesis. I'm not sure where the Trad came from. Uh, looks like it was from Micronet, licensed by Cebu Kaihatsu Inc., and licensed again by Sega Enterprises. So there's that. Now, first and foremost, I would say that as a port, this is a pretty faithful port, albeit. Um, it's kind of an older style arcade game compared to what the Genesis is capable of. So it does feel a little lackluster on the Genesis. You know, it's got the fields down below, which um, I, I guess they're fairly high res, kind of. Um, you know, your, your firepower feels a little bit weak. You're in this, like, kind of futuristic looking fighter jet um, attacking 
these futuristic looking helicopters and things coming down from the screen overlooking a cityscape at least the first level is that and uh kind of known for having tanks pop out from behind buildings and you can shoot those and certain buildings you can blow up there'll be metals underneath them you can collect the metals for points uh but very straightforward game with um some power-ups like lasers and the cool um like warping uh heat or enemy seeking laser thing that they have um, and of course, your B button is a bomb, and that's pretty much it. It's very straightforward. Music, um, you know, I, is un, un, not memorable at this point. Um, but you know, it's Raiden on the Genesis. Sorry, I have to catch myself. Raiden. I'm not used to saying that. Uh, I do have to give it a lot of credit for the the cool things on the ground. Cows walking around down in the fields below. People walking across paths. Little cars and stuff driving by. Um, gameplay is solid. Raiden's a solid. Uh, albeit simple shooter and uh, can get quite addictive. I would say that you have to drop it a few points for having to tap the button over and over and over again for finger fatigue. I do also have to point out this has the uh, arcade slash Genesis trope of the cubes that fill the screen when you die and then unravel to reveal the new life, um, which is always kind of kitschy and fun. I think I have to um, give this game... I mean, there's part of me that wants to give it... Gameplay is king. And there's part of me that wants to get, give it something like a, a B minus, uh, B or something. Because uh, the gameplay is addictive, albeit simple. Um, I'm going to go ahead and have to say, though, the antiquated um, visuals and sound, as well as some of the characteristics of the gameplay, make me drop it to AC. Now, the next game is called Sagaya. And it's really interesting because Sagaya is only a game you'll find in the U.S. because everywhere else it's simply called Darius. I don't know why they felt the need to change the name. It's a game by Taito. It is a, a pretty classic um, uh, rolling, uh, side-scrolling shooter kind of in the vein of a Gradius or something like that. Now, I would say as far as being an iconic game, I'd say it's more of a B-tier um, level of iconic. It's not quite a Gradius or a a uh, R-Type or something like that. But um, this game is a game that's always kind of haunted me because I should love this game. I love shooters. I love um, oceans and fish. And this is a, a, a shooter where the aesthetic is this: these Japanese, uh, very Japanese-looking spaceships are bottled after fish, like these crazy ocean creature uh, spaceship mashups. Um, they also have branching paths, which is very uh, popular. The, the series is well known for having these many branching paths. So you start in Zone A, and then you, after you beat Zone A, you know you get to choose if you go to the top side of the screen before the timer runs out, you'll go to Zone B. If you go to the bottom, you go to Zone C. And those keep splitting off like seven times until there's, you know, I don't know the math, but like 128 different ways you can play through the game, right? Um, ending up in a different place every time. Uh, super cool in concept. I also have give uh, have to give mad props for um, kind of an uh, internet meme at this point. And lots of games have have copied it because it's classic, it's iconic. But this is the game where when you get to the final boss at the end of a level, it comes up with a big warning and says "huge battleship approaching," right? And then it shows the name of that particular ship. And again, there's a ton of different ships because there's a ton of different levels. Um, lots. I guess this game is. I, I would say it's known for having lots, lots of stuff on the screen. Um, lots of options, lots of levels. The thing is, the levels 
are are they're kind of wide open. The first level is like this fire level. Um, there's little kind of enemies all over the place doing lots of different things. It's very busy, um, but somehow not necessarily a good way to me. All of the, your firepower seems very tinny, and um, doesn't it doesn't have a satisfying feel to it. Uh, all the enemy ships shoot these tiny little, like single pixel attacks at you. They're kind of hard to see. They're they're um, they're they're a lot. I don't know. And then you get these a lot of different upgrades. Now you don't you have like a um, force field that you can get around you. You have um, bombs that you can drop. Now it's interesting because when you start the game, you have a forward shooting kind of little pea shooter, and then if you press B, you have a bomb that just constantly drops, kind of like. Um, Oh, what's the game I'm thinking of? Um, Scramble. Uh, but I don't ha- see any reason. It, it auto-shoots if you hold either button. So you can hold them both down at the same time. They'll both auto-shoot. And that's kind of, you just kind of hold those two buttons down the whole game. I don't see any re- reason why you wouldn't. Um, it's just kind of... I don't know how to explain it. Even though it's an iconic game for lots of reasons, the gameplay and actually playing it to me is just kind of ho-hum. Um, for me, I, I, I love the... the, the and everything's small. All the all the sprites are very small, including the bosses are very small. And of course, the original arcade game had this gigantic screen, and it was actually I think um, two, if not three, screens wide. So it was a very long game. I've never played the real arcade game. I'd love to try it sometime. Um, but I don't know. I just I don't I don't love the game. Um, for me, it's I mean it's got to be better than a D. For me, it just falls in this category. I just never want to play. So for me, it's kind of a D. Um, although I want it to be great, C, a D plus, C minus, something like that. That's that's where I'm going to fall on Sagaya or Darius as a whole. Now this next game is a Toplin game, a classic uh, arcade developer. Um, I think provided or licensed by Tengen, which was Atari, uh, for the Genesis. And this game, it's got to have one of the stupidest names for a game of this type, or of any game, in my opinion. It's called Slap Fight. That's right, Slap Fight, like uh, Will Smith and Chris Rock. Like, I have no idea what this has to do with aerial combat, vertical shooters, but that's what it is. It is a vertical shooter, um, and I believe it is a, a true arcade port. Now, it has to be said that this game is probably more old-school arcade, more archaic than even Raiden Trad was. Um, I don't know the exact details on when the arcade game was made, but um, it's graphically, you know, it's 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 definitely a, a, a step above 8-bit, but not far. Um, now, what I will give it is the music is pumping. Um, the sound effects and music are very kind of loud and in-your-face. Um, it kind of works. Uh, I like the sound design, uh, but it's a very kind of straightforward xenon looking type of a shmup. Um, you've got this gray spaceship and you can actually turn your spaceship into a few different versions of a spaceship, which act physically change when you get different, uh, types of, um, like you can become a homing missile ship or a bomb ship or a laser ship. Um, but what's really interesting and unique about this game almost laughable it is laughable to me um you can actually get these like instead of options these like additional ships that come attach yourself uh attached to the side of your ship on either left or right and they can go too deep on each side meaning your ship with these four fighters attached to it becomes like the the width of half the screen and 
Um, yeah, you have a lot of firepower, but they get hit all the time. Um, the enemies are kind of generic. The the gameplay is kind of generic. Um, it's got a unique thing going there with the weapons and those those pods. You can shoot sideways with where you, where your pods can can eventually go. There's these little like um, half moon shots that go sideways. So it's kind of interesting. You're shooting forward and sideways at the same time. Um, I don't know. You do go through like different environments, kind of spaceships, and, um, and you know, start kind of on some sort of like alien Earth, alien planet looking thing. Um, but your enemies are primarily just like kind of circles, orbs and things walking on the ground. Um, there's some cool crabs that I thought were, were kind of neat later on in the game. Um, but ultimately, the, the size of your ship and uh, gameplay itself is kind of man. I. I it's somewhere in that D to C range. I don't want to put a label on it. A D plus seems too harsh and a C minus seems too high. I don't know. Something like that for Slap Fight. Smash TV is a game that um, I, it's like the ultimate Robotron clone. Uh, love the theme. You're this guy fighting off this uh, all these zounds of energy and <laughs> energies enemies in a futuristic game show where you're actually killing people, collecting new weapons and money and trying to get as much money as you can by the end of the game where you fight this gigantic tank guy and it's it's a great game i really enjoy it although the genesis version of i would have to say is probably the weakest version one of the weakest versions i've played even with the nes you can use two controllers so that you have um two d-pads to shoot up down left and right like a true arena uh, twin stick shooter um Love everything about this game, but on the Genesis, it makes it really difficult. You can either press uh, the A button to shoot in the direction you're facing. You can press the B button to shoot the opposite direction you're facing. Like if you're going down, it'll shoot up. Or you can press C, which will lock the gun in the direction you're facing, so that when you start moving around, it'll keep firing in that direction. It's probably the best they could have done, but with this controller, the game just doesn't work terribly well. Uh, but it is a great game, great visuals, great sound, um, speech and everything. Love the vibe. Um, for this version of the game, I'm giving it a C. Sol Dis, Dias, Dis, Sol Dis is the next game I'm covering. Uh, licensed by Sega Enterprises, uh, made by Wolf Team in 1992, apparently. It is a horizontal scrolling shmup. It is a very Sega Genesis-y shmup in that it has those Sega Genesis sounds and sound track. It's also um, very quick and um, lots of things on screen coming at you quickly. So fits the Genesis mold in lots of ways because of that. Although um, uh, there's one major bonus and one major uh, con, I would say, with this with this game. The, the plus is that it has some super creative um, situations it puts you in put you puts you in uh the first level is uh you know kind of its masterpiece you're out in space and there's space debris flying everywhere and these kind of booby traps are popping out and you have to kind of shoot these things and avoid the debris while getting rid of the booby traps that are coming out and reaching out to grab you and um just very very cool set pieces um in the game that looks solid it's a pretty close-up view, but it works pretty well. Um, the game does quickly get very difficult, so there's a difficulty spike. If that's for you, great, but you're definitely going to have to memorize the game because there's um, lots of these 
set pieces take a lot of hits to the point where I don't think if you're powered up enough that they're realistically uh, things you can take out. Um, feels like there's parts of the game where you're probably gonna get you're probably gonna get stuck a bunch because you just don't have the firepower. Um, now, when it comes to firepower, you, there are some power-ups that kind of widen your shot. You you fight this every time you die, this one pops out immediately that allows your single shot to become three shots. So you almost always have that. Not even sure why you have to pick up that initial power-up to do that realistically, but because um, it's always there for you. Um, the you know you can eventually get up to like four shots. You can get lasers. Um, but you more or less just have one shot with your ship. There's no bombs. There's no kind of um, gotcha moment with this game. It kind of is what it is. You hold down fire, shoot all the stuff, avoid things, try to memorize the levels. Um, decent, good, good, solid, decent music. Good, solid, decent sound effects. Uh, unique set pieces, but the gameplay itself kind of lets it down. Um, want, kind of want to give it a B, but because... Uh, some of the difficulty and the lack of options in the gameplay. It's just kind of a straightforward hold down the button, move around. Uh, that's about it. So I'm going to give this one a C, unfortunately. Steel Empire is a unique game on the Sega Genesis. It is a horizontal scrolling shooter. Um, it says Acclaim, and it also says Flying Fortress on the uh, title screen there. Um, this is game. This game is unique on the Genesis because in a in a field of you know space shooters and helicopter uh, airplane type shooters, uh, they went with a whole different motif here. They went for like a steampunk vibe, and I really enjoy the vibe. Um, they kind of got the flickery old sepia tone movie screen thing going with the uh, the menu and the loading screens. Um, and you have the option to be either a zeppelin or a a plane, but it's they're definitely like robotic, you know, alternate reality, alternate future, alternate history, uh, steampunk things. You know, you're fighting rail cars and ships and uh, big cannons and robot uh, vehicles and all kinds of cool stuff. It's definitely got that brown and gold um, color combination, which just works really well. Uh, it's a game I really want to love. The music is solid. Um, the art is excellent, and um, I think, unfortunately, that the gameplay is the, the thing that holds it back. Um, it feels, again, like an Amiga game to me in that you have to shoot a lot of the enemies a whole lot of times to kill them. Um, you're quickly overwhelmed by enemies because you can't shoot them enough times to clear the screen most of the time. Um, it's got an, a unique control method, which I do appreciate. Uh, you can hold the but C button to shoot forward, the B button to shoot backwards, and the A button is the bomb. And when you're shooting, the direction you're shooting, you're also lobbing grenades out the top of your Zeppelin. And it's kind of a weird arc that's kind of hard to get used to. But So you're shooting and not just dropping bombs, but like lobbing grenades over the top of your Zeppelin or your plane. So um, very uh, unique game. I, I, I want to get into it, but I have a hard time enjoying the gameplay, but I really enjoy the aesthetic. Um, and it does feel, the movement feels good. Unfortunately, there is a good amount of slowdown through a large portion of the game, the majority of the game, because there are a lot of things on screen at any given time. That hampers it quite a bit as well. I would hate to give this thing a D. Uh, I want to give it a B, so I'm going to have to meet right in the middle at a C, honestly.
Subterrana is a game I actually used to own. Actually, I still do own it, but I owned it when I owned a Genesis. It's a game I found cheap, complete in box at a store one time, so I had to try picking it up. It looked really cool. It's not actually I would what I would call a shooter, but it is. I mean, it's a shooter. It's like playing Space Taxi, kind of like a gravity um, a lunar lander style game, but you have weapons and. Um, you're, when you start a level, it is a you know a screen where they show a map of the tunnel system you're in. You're in these you know underground tunnel systems fighting enemies in in the mines, I guess, on some futuristic planet thing. I don't entirely remember. But um, on paper, it sounds really fun. You have like a, a standard shot. You can upgrade your shot by finding certain things th- throughout the level. Um, you can get missiles. You have doors that you shoot, and they kind of move out of the way to allow you access to new areas. There's enemies. Um, the enemies are interesting because they're, like, walking on the ground like robot enemies sometimes. There's some flying ones. There's um, little columns that extend out towards you and shoot at you. And then, uh, you know, level two, right off the bat, you've got a, a boss battle, and it's this gigantic head thing you're shooting. Um, all in all, though, you're kind of zoomed in so close, it's hard to tell where you're at. Um the gravity pulling you down, you're always fighting against it, but the enemies are not kind of in areas where it's easy for you to um, attack them. You're kind of like falling down while aiming down at an enemy to shoot, and if it's shooting back at you, the only way to escape is, you know, to slam on the gas, but now you're facing down, so you shoot into the ground. You kind of have to, like, wait and turn and move. I don't know. It's just kind of clunky. It doesn't really work well. I remember trying to play through this as a kid. I have some fond memories of it, but I remember it being very hard to get used to, and I never absolutely loved this game. Uh, I don't know if I can quite give this game uh, a C, even though, again, it's a game I would love to, to like. I like the concept of it. Um, I'm going to have to give this one like a D plus, C minus, D plus, something like that. I love Fantasy Zone. It's a great arcade game. I love it on the Turbo Graphics. I love it on the Master System. So when I found out that Super Fantasy Zone was here on the Genesis, I was excited to give it a shot. And I will say that um, they there's nothing particularly super about Super Fantasy Zone. It's just kind of like a different Fantasy Zone, which would be a good thing. Um, but there's a few gameplay tweaks that kind of ruin it for me. I'll be upfront. Uh the gameplay of Fantasy Zone, if you've never played it, it's kind of like a Defender-style game. You can scroll left or right. Uh, pressing left or right will turn your ship, which is called Opa Opa. It's like a character ship. Um, and you can scroll. There's a little kind of... There There should be a map at the bottom of the screen that shows you where um, there's about eight bases that you have to destroy to finish the level and then fight the boss. Um and it will show you other enemies that are coming at you on the screen. However, the map on this screen isn't really a map. It's kind of just um, some pictures of the bases just kind of lined up on the bottom. They just kind of flash and disappear. It's, it's interesting. It's not as effective. Um, some cool cutscenes and things like that. Um, but the thing that really frustrates me with the game uh, is that if you're used to the original Fantasy Zone... Um, you know, you, you scroll left and right when you turn the screen, uh, if camera, if you will, will adjust accordingly. So it gives you some uh, some runway ahead of your ship. It doesn't do very well at that here. You turn 
and you've got like no screen in front of you until it catches up like two or three seconds later. So it is really difficult just to get around and see. It doesn't work well. Um, the shop is there. The weapons are there. The, the good music, the fun pastel, kind of hyper pastel colors are there. Um, and then when you get to the boss, typically in a, in a Fantasy Zone game, um, Opa Opa only faces one direction at that point. It kind of becomes like a single screen side-scrolling shooter, if you will, when you're fighting these kind of cool bosses. Now, the bosses are cool in this game, but you still have that thing where you are placing left and right and your, your ship flips back and forth. Um, kind of changing up the gameplay, which you could, you know, they are enemies that are made so that you can attack them from both sides, and they kind of require you to, so that's good. Um, I wasn't expecting it, and um, I, for whatever reason, it just didn't feel as good. I, as much as I love the series, and I, you know, I really love it on the Turbo Graphics and the Master System, those are both A games, I would say this is a, a game you should play, but it's a C. It's a C in this case. Speaking of classic arcade games with the name Super in front of them, Super Space Invaders, also known as Space Invaders 91 from Taito, is on the Sega Genesis, and I'm covering that one next. If you are a huge Space Invaders fan, this game will appeal to you, I think, to a, to a point. Um, I'm not a huge Space Invaders fan, but I do enjoy this game. Um, it is nothing to write home about. It is simply Space Invaders with some... Um, kind of variation to the enemies, um, solid music, um, very simple, you know, uh, visual design. Um, again, nothing is going to blow you away, but, uh, some variation in the enemies, um, some unique things like, uh, rocks that if you're shooting enemies and you shoot these rocks that are floating in the sky, they'll fall to the ground and create kind of a block on the ground for a while that you can't pass. Um, do you get some power-ups from shooting the UFO instead of just points when the UFO goes over the top of the screen? It's much larger. Um, I would say it's easier to hit, but there's so many enemies and so much fire um, that you can... By the way, you can shoot the enemy fire to to um, dispatch it. Um, that it's actually hard to get the shots up there. Um, there's cool parts where all these enemies are actually heading in different directions rather than the whole group moving just in the same direction by itself. Lots of things that make it different, but ultimately I think what makes the gameplay, which I first was really excited about really enjoyed, uh, where I think it starts to fall is that the screen is so full with, with enemies that they start really close to the bottom of the screen. So you're kind of forced to play every level the same way, which is let's shoot the first one or two rows off the bottom first. Um, they're dropping a lot of weapons, by the way, and, and depleting your shields. It's not a one-hit kill. You have shields. Um... But it kind of the gameplay itself starts to feel kind of samey. Uh, it also has the issue kind of I have with um, with um, uh, you know Galaxian and Galaga, where some of the shots will actually stick you in the corner and you can't get away from them. They'll get you. So um, it feels like sometimes you'll get caught in a situation where shots aren't allowing you to go by. Um, ultimately. Oh, man, I don't want to give it a D, even though for a Genesis game, I can see how this, you know, if you're not into the old or old school gameplay, this might seem a little lame to you. Um, C minus, something like that. I think it's worth playing if you're really into old arcade games. Maybe you can give it, a, give it a solid C, and it's worth a check out. Up next, we have a game called Task Force Harrier EX. You are, in theory, uh, driving a Harrier jet in this game. 
Um, it is made by a company called Trico. It is a vertical uh, shooter, which takes up the whole screen, so no sidebars, arcade kind of thing going on here. And when I first loaded this game up, I was like, man, this looks like it's going to be like a super generic, boring shooter. And to my surprise, it was absolutely a super generic, boring shooter. Um, the color palette is very drab. You start with uh, stage one and uh, stage two are both just very gray, rocky um, climates. Um, the enemies are just boring-looking ships, nothing exciting about them. Um, I noticed the hit detection right away is is difficult. It's hard to hit things you want to hit, and you feel like you're going to get hit with a bullet, and you don't get hit with a bullet, and I'm not sure when and why that happens. Um, if you hold button A, you're going to be um, doing your shot. You can tap it or you can hold it, and you will be shooting uh, your, your ship's weapons. And your ship shoots a lot of weapons, but... Um, you know, there's a good chance that enemies can, if you shoot right at an enemy, your weapons will go to the left and to the right of the enemy at the same time and miss it, um, which can be frustrating. You also are, uh, at the same time as you're shooting, you're also bombing in front of you on the ground, kind of like an Exevious or, uh, that type of a game. However, um, there's no reticle to show you where you're going to be bombing in front of you, so you kind of just kind of have to get used to where it's going to bomb. And if you hold down the button, it bobs at, bombs at intervals. You kind of have to hope you're in the right area when it's going to bomb. Um, it's not terribly accurate. Uh, there's a lot of upgrades and things you can get while you're playing the game. And you have these kind of two options next to you that can move uh, when you press the B button, either like close to you in front of you or close behind you or out to the sides a little bit or way out to the sides, which is a cool feature. Uh, allows you to kind of place uh, more weapon fire where you want it any time during the game. Although I never found any particular reasons to use one or the other. I kind of just kept playing around with them and ultimately just kind of left them in front of me. Um, and then you've got a, a C bomb button as well. The music is extremely simple and forgettable. Sound effects are pretty repetitive, and there is this. Um, these cutscenes are also super generic with generic anime-looking pictures and storylines. Um, the game is is primarily just generic. Now, a couple of good things I can say about the game. First of all, it has very clear speech, which is actually pretty impressive. It sounds like speech from like a CD recorded audio game. I'm very impressed by that. I'm not sure how they pulled that one off. Um, also, uh, I do like the fact that the bombs that you drop in front of you also are upgradable. And instead of just dropping one or two in front of you, eventually you can be dropping a horizontal line of like four or a vertical line in front of you or th of three, and then they can get bigger. So um, I can see how that could be uh, interesting moving forward, playing more of this game, uh, using that on enemies and uh, patterns and figuring that stuff out. However, it's still hard to, to aim where they're at. And um, bosses are like... You know, here's the big level boss for, you know, spoiler alert, level two, uh, two tanks. And you shoot them a lot, and they shoot three bullets at you at a time repeatedly over and over again, and that's it. Um, this game is playable, uh, but it's not fun. So I'm going to have to give this one a D. Uh, don't bother. Now, I'm sure a lot of you who are Genesis fans were waiting for me to get to the Thunder Force series on the Genesis. You have Thunder Force 2, 3, and 4. So starting with Thunder Force 2, this is a very unique uh, game in the Thunder Force lineup because it is, first and foremost, a top-down, um, eight-way directional shooter. Um, I would actually compare it very similar to... Um, it's it, the gameplay is more like Bosconian, 
uh, and even to down to the fact that you're trying to destroy bases and do it, destroy all the bases to move to the final boss to move on from that. Um, but then it also kind of has a, a, a Time Pilot 84 thing going for it. Um, I could see Eric getting really into this since he's a big Time Pilot 84 fan. Um, you get lots of different firepower. There's weapons you can get that uh, you start off with a, a dual frontal attack, an attack that shoots in front of you and behind you, which is very useful, especially because when you press any direction on this game, you go that direction. So if you're going left and you press right, you would just instantly turn right. You don't like, it doesn't take you time to turn around, if that makes sense. Um, it makes for a very, um, you know, Bosconian-like gameplay. Uh, but what's interesting is if you keep playing, and I'll, I'll be honest for you, I played this for you a few times, and I did not get to the point where I completed the first level. The next level becomes a side-scrolling, horizontal, standard shooter. Um, I heard this one is, for a lot of people, not liked that much because of this style of gameplay. I actually think it's very refreshing and cool. And um, even though I didn't make it to the horizontal shooter part of it, that looks. I'm watching some video that seems a little more... Um, uninspired little samey samey so i would have to say this one's going to get a b for me i think you should try it that brings us to the next thunder force game thunder force 3 which is also released by technosoft uh, this is a true horizontal shooter and what i like about this right off the get-go is that you have a stage select screen kind of like mega man you get to pick which planet you want to start at um, if you start with right away you got hydra and it gives you the the um the boss name as well as kind of where its weak weak point is which is uh key to beating <laughs> beating these bosses figuring out where that is um this game is very genesis genesis in that again you've got that really fast ship um it's got that very direct gameplay feel uh thunder force when i think about thunder force i think about all of the backgrounds and how they have these kind of um maze-like right angle um designs to them like the the vines in the first level of this game um thunder force is is a very well laid out game solid music um great gameplay fun enemies that come out in different spots that are you know uh, always a bit of a surprise you kind of do have to do a little memorization but you can get by on reflexes um love the locales i mean i'm starting out here in this forest um there's popcorn enemies. There's enemies that take more shots. Just a good, a good variety of different things and things you have to do to survive. I noticed that there is, again, your Thunder Force weapon system, just like in the last game. However, um, so you start with three different shots. A dual front shot, a shot that shoots in front of you and behind you at the same time, and then a shot that's much weaker but shoots against the walls and kind of um, covers the walls. I absolutely love this game. Um, Thunder Force 3, to me, personally, is my favorite of the three games on the Genesis. I know it's usually the second favorite. Um, but I really, really enjoy this game. I like the very chunky Japanese sprites. I love all the parallax scrolling in the background. Very satisfying sound effects. Uh, a very schmuppy soundtrack. It sounds like a Genesis. Um, you know, you go through a lot of, of, of the kind of typical genres of your forest your lava your water levels but it's just a really well put to get uh, put together game and for me this is a solid a game for sure 
Now, some of you might have balked when I said Thunder Force 4, and that is because in America it was not called Thunder Force 4. It was changed for some reason to Lightning Force. That's right, not lightning, but lightning, like to make something lighter. Um, I think it was a an error in translation, but you have Lightning Force here, which is Thunder Force 4, released, again, by Technosoft um, in 1992, in this case, another horizontal screen. Uh, scrolling shooter and the main thing that i notice when i start playing this game and it's honestly um one of the things that i find frustrating with this game just because it doesn't work as well for me um is that it is not a fixed screen horizontal shooter it's very visually interesting in that when you press up and down you're scrolling like three screens high and three screens below you um while you go left and right I'm not a fan of this, just like I'm not a fan of it with the vertical scrolling shooters. Um, but this game takes uh, Thunder Force to a, another whole other speed. There's crazy amounts of parallax, these gorgeous clouds and um, mountains in the background. Just looks amazing, just thumping soundtrack. This probably has the best uh, soundtrack, definitely has the best visuals and um uh, the, you know, the weapon systems there, a lot of the things that make Thunder Force games great are all here. You have the availability to change your speed on the fly from low to medium to high to uh, over-the-top fast, which is, again, very Genesis-y. Um, you've got cool sound effects. You have your stage select screen, which you can choose from four different areas at the beginning of this game. It is a hard game. It is not as traditional as a straightforward shmup could be. Um, so if you're looking for sound and visuals and excitement, kind of, I, I guess I could say over gameplay, I think this would be the one for you. I still am going to give this a solid A, even though it's not my favorite on the Genesis as far as uh, Thunder Force games go. All right, guys. So I made it through the Thunder Force series and realized I'm bumping right up against 50 minutes of airtime here on this topic again. So I'm going to have to break this segment yet into a third part. A third, and I promise this time, final part, which you will hear on uh, next month's Cody's Corner, which will likely be episode 98. So I will finish off with what looks to be 13 uh, final schmutz, um, and I will give my top five. So go ahead and bookmark this for next month. I'll catch up with you guys then. In the meantime, thank you for hanging out, and uh, enjoy some of these uh, Sega Genesis schmups. Let me know if you agree with these or not. All right, Eric. We are back here, live in the studio. Yeah. Some more Sega Genesis mups for you to play. Man, I am ready. <laughs> There's some good ones, man. I found some good ones in there. Yep. All right. Without further ado, we're going to top hop on into six good games. Six good games. And as we mentioned earlier in the show, this is six good games that are based on bow and arrows. Six good bow and arrow games, Eric. Yeah. Now, did you have these preloaded in your mind when we chose this topic, or did you have to search for these a bit? I did have to search a bit. I Honestly, I had one locked in, and then the rest, I, I've, I opened it up on Twitter I opened it up on our Discord. I asked people what their favorite bow and arrow games were. Um, and people threw a lot of ideas at us, which we'll, I'll show, we'll show up in our runner-ups. 
Okay. Um, but ultimately, I think I picked some pretty decent ones. I tried to go like more modern-ish games as well as one of mine is very old school. Okay. So I'm, I'm eager to try it out. Well, I'm going to go first this time so you can finish this up here. Uh, one of the games I picked is a game that I have never actually played, even though I've seen my friend play it a bunch when I was a kid and everyone talks about it. Yeah. Um, and that game is on the NES. It is called Kid Icarus. Okay. Now, oh, we, well, we got to open a beer, don't we? Ooh, Kid Icarus says, uh, what do you call it? Was it like eggplant juice or something? We're going to get some eggplant juice. <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, Kid Icarus, um, it's a mythological land over the seas, as is the concept of this beer. Yeah. I guess, I guess Vikings weren't mythological themselves. They existed, right? They existed. They did exist in real life. So <laughs> this is a, this beer we so the the brand of beer we have tried before and they're one of my favorites. They're it, this is by Einstock. It Einstock. is um, Icelandic beer, and uh, we we've tried their toasted porter, which is excellent. is is a great beer. I remember having a good one. I don't remember it specifically, but I remember it being very good. It's a toasted porter, but this one is a little more risky. So I'm ready to try oh, it yeah. out. It is an ale brewed with coriander and orange peel. It's called Icelandic white ale. And typically when I get a white ale, it's more like a winter warmer. So there's like spices and weird crap in it. Um, now this but, isn't a nice white can with like yes. a gray, blue, shiny uh, printing on it, which leads me to believe it's not going to be heavy. That is correct. And, and, uh, Spoiler alert, I did have this already. Oh, okay, okay. So I did I, I did have one about a week ago. So Now, what I want you to do for me, Eric, is pronounce the two words next to the crossed axes at the bottom of the can. Next to the crossed axes. Yeah, so it is a... Surfamilidor. Yes, <laughs> yes. Octomary, Iceland. Oh, that's where it's from. Perfect, perfect. I na- nailed it. Nailed it. No, it's funny because... There's no way I don't even I can't even read the word Einstock without saying it like that and instantly yeah. hearing just like like dark black metal underneath. This beer is yeah. called Einstock. And the full name there is Einstock Olger. Olger. Dun 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 dun. Icelandic white ale. All right, out of uh, 2021 good Icelandic years. Yep. Let's go ahead and rate this bad boy. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. There's nothing grosser than hearing somebody move their tongue in their lips like I just did. Sorry I, I interrupted you in your in your game, though, because I'm very interested in what you feel about this game. Oh, that's fine. I need to get my beer down here first. I taste the orange peel, but it is lighter. It's yeah, solid. I taste the orange peel too. I don't taste as much coriander, but that could be that's could be not such a bad thing. Coriander by itself isn't that great of a flavor, really, especially for beer. <laughs> um, huh. Okay, but it, I will say it's not as I do not like winter warmers. I think the spice yeah. that they put in there usually is horrible. All right, I'm just gonna throw it out there. I'm gonna give this one. It doesn't have a whole lot of flavor, and the flavor it has is good, but not mind-blowing, but it's refreshing, yeah. and it's 
Yeah. And if you're in the right mood, I could I could enjoy this. I'm going to give it a 1423. That's about... Uh, I think you're about right. I'm going to maybe give it a tiny bit higher, maybe 1500. You need to get more creative with your ear, your year choices, Eric. Sorry. <laughs> All right, there we go. Einstock Icelandic White Ale. Yeah. Averages out averages out like a 1468, something like that. Um Kid Icarus. So, yeah. let's get back to that. I remember specifically my buddy who actually had a his, the only thing he had in his room was a gigantic, like, California king bed that took up the entire room. One <laughs> one beat-up old oak dresser that just was beat to crap and back. And yeah. then a TV on top of that. That was his entire room. And we played Bubble Bobble on his NES on that TV, looking up at it, because it was way up on the dresser. And we played Life Force. And then he had Kid Icarus, which I never got to play or never did play. He would play it sometimes, and I would watch. And okay. I never understood what he was doing. Um, and when I played this game for the show, uh, this time I did not understand what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to look up the manual and gave it some time. Um, but it's funny because it's it's very NES like when you just see the scrolling title screen, you know, 1986 Nintendo. So it's an early NES game, um, push start button. So if you've played Metroid at all, like I played a ton of it. I instantly realized, and I didn't think about it at the time, but I do recall hearing about this before, Metroid was built off of the Kid Icarus engine. I didn't know that. So this is definitely the Metroid engine, and one very interesting thing. So it's a platforming game in which you are Icarus, you know, the mythological Greek uh, demigod or whatever that flew too close to the sun, right? Um, And there's a couple things you need to know about this game, otherwise you'll have no idea what's going on. First of all, it's a platformer but instead of being side scrolling it is vertical scrolling so you climb platforms up and you scroll up and up and up and up like a tower now for no reason whatsoever if you roll off my my guess it's a programming error that they just kept and like all right we'll just work around that if you roll off the right side of the screen you're going to pop out on the left side of the screen and that becomes there's actually walls in in between sometimes like right here eric uh, let's see here, where you literally have to go through the screen to get to keep moving up. <laughs> there he goes. He went through there. Um, your weapon is a bow and arrow because you're Icarus. And so, um, for the most part, I wanted to pick games that were based around the bow, the bow and arrow and the, the act of shooting it. And this game is the entire. You have a bow and arrow the entire game. Your That's weapon right. gets it gets upgraded, but it doesn't change. You always have a bow and arrow. Oh. Uh, and you. Random enemies, snake enemies, these flying octopus things. You can collect harps here. There's hearts and that kind of stuff. But it's um, on the surface, it's a basic platforming game. It's extremely difficult. Yeah. Um, extremely difficult. And without reading the manual, you're going to have to do a lot of soul searching. You go into these rooms, uh, these doors, and you go into these rooms, and half the rooms are empty. There's literally nothing in them, and I have no idea why they're there. Uh, after reading the manual, I figured out why some of them there, but there's still plenty. I have no idea why they're there. Um, this room is a challenge room where there's enemies flying everywhere, and you literally go in there, you collect all these hearts, and when you kill all the enemies, that's it. You just collected hearts. The hearts are actually currency, because there will be shops sometimes, and you can buy upgrades uh, to your life, to your weapon, to various things with hearts that you've saved through the game. Now, the enemies, if you shoot like a... a 
like in this case, there's like five octopuses that fly at you. If you shoot those five octopuses and wait, they're just going to come back again. So you can, if if it wasn't so flipping hard to defeat those octopuses, you could just sit there and keep farming hearts. Um, but ultimately, the point of the game is just to keep keep climbing northward. There's a map, um, and there's you know it's like world one, world one two, world one three, world two one, world world two two, and um, it it it's hard because. There's a slight bit of, of momentum. When you land, your character takes a couple more steps. And there's some very tight platforming stages, and so it's it can be very frustrating trying to figure that out. Um, so I wouldn't say the gameplay is tight by any means. Um, it, it, it's tight until you do that walk thing, and then trying to platform like that is nuts. Um, there's these ghost guys right here that when they see you uh, in a horizontal line, they freak out and call these, like little blue flying guys to run after you and it screams and music plays and it's terrifying. Um, it's really hard not to get hit. It's really hard to get anywhere in this game. Uh, I played for like a solid hour and a half and I didn't get much further than you're seeing right now in the video. Um, it's, it's a game I think you have to put a lot of time into now. That being said, what's nice about it is you're going to put a lot of time into trying to figure out how to get past this level. But once you do, there's a password that pops up on the screen. And if you've ever played Metroid, it's the most frustrating, frustrating password in the world because it's not only uppercase and lowercase, but there's also uh, cursive and non-cursive letters. So it's very difficult to remember exactly. If you write it down wrong, you're never going to figure it out. <laughs> um, so I remember that about Metroid as well. But So in theory, you, you can get to points in the game where you do password saves and you keep playing. So it's a game uh, kind of like an RPG where you're just going to keep playing forward until you beat the game um but it's it, it, it's it's interesting it has a bow and arrow it's got kid icarus i finally played it i would i would not say it is a great game but i think it does qualify as a good game it definitely qualifies as a classic game most people who've ever played the nintendo have played this game i'm late to the party um kid icarus i don't know what else to say about it yeah i mean i think that if you <clears throat> had a Nintendo back in the day and you got this game, I think you would spend a lot of time on it. I mean, it is a classic. I mean, you get your money's worth out of it for sure. You get your money's worth out. I could see it playing over and over again. I mean, so here's my thing. I never had a Nintendo as a kid, but when I got this as an adult, so like, I don't know, I think it was probably 10 years ago, nine years ago, I was looking at, Hey, the games that are the best on the Nintendo and Kid Icarus kept coming up. And so like I'd loaded this game and, I could not get very far in this game, and I really wanted to because yeah. it it was a it it's fun to play. It's really cool game, but it really is tough as nails. Yeah, it's I mean, tough, it really is hard. Um, but if you were a kid back in the day, this is worth your money because you can spend a lot of time in this game getting better and better at it. Absolutely. Two other things I want to say about the game. Yep. One thing I didn't realize up front, actually, now I see that this is where I died. This is the furthest I got right here. Yeah. Um, so two other things about it. When I was playing, I'm used to playing games where you can run and jump and shoot side to side. Yep. I never realized it took me about 45 minutes before I read the manual that if you stand still and press up, you will actually point your arrow straight up the screen. You can shoot ahead of you. That is a huge game changer, which I did now, not realize originally. I will tell you, it's been a while since I played this, and I probably didn't know that either. Yeah, I, I doubt it, because that's not something you do in any other game, really. Yep, um, so that could have made my experience a whole lot different. <laughs> yep, yep. 
Uh, and then the other thing I was going to say is, before I whipped out my NES to play it this on, um, I'm like, oh, this is, this is definitely an NES game that's on the Switch right now. Yeah. For the NES classics that are included with the subscription. Um, I'm not trying to, I mean, I, other people, you, you hear about lag sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people, you know, look down on it and say, oh, you're just trying to think you're so good at games that you can sense the lag. There's no lag. Like, you can't actually perceive that. I'm, I'm not, I don't understand how people can play this game and not a lot of other NES games, but definitely this game without playing on a real hardware, on a real CLT, because even the smallest amount of lag is makes this game so much more difficult. That little, like, yeah. precise platforming with the little runoff i mean yeah. you, you throw in a microsecond of lag and you're not going to be able to stay on that on those little pedestals so i could not play it on the on the switch at all i don't suggest it i suggest uh you know real hardware with the crt or something else that has almost no lag whatsoever so that is the other thing i will say about this game right on get it chris Kidergris, that's a good pick. Where are you going to go first here? Yeah, let me think. I kind of want to save the first one I put on the list for last. Okay. Let's talk about... Um, let's talk about the oldest game first, Venture. Yeah, Love let's it. do that. So Venture is a game that was recommended to me online. Um, multiple people had recommended this game to me, so I definitely wanted to check it out. I'm going to pull up the ColecoVision version, if that's all right. That's fine. That's fine. Because I played both of them. That's the one I'm familiar with. So, <clears throat> Venture is a game by Exidy, and it originally was an arcade machine that came out in 1981, I believe. Let me pull up my notes here. I took copious notes. Um, it is a game that came out in 1981 in the arcade by, by Exidy. It came out for the ColecoVision in 1982... And it also came out on the 2600 and in television afterwards. Um, I played the arcade and the ColecoVision for this for this episode. Um, it is a game that is kind of close to my heart in that it is similar to Frenzy and Berserk. If you've played those games, kind of, yeah, yeah, which came uh, came out in about the same time era. Um, it is ultimately kind of. Um, a game where you're dropped into a world and you're like a little, you're literally one pixel on the screen. <clears throat> and and it, it's a screen of multiple rooms. And when you run into a room, typically there are either traps or there are bad guys in the room. And you are, a, the your character is called Winky. <laughs> and you are, you're exploring the dungeon and... When you enter a room, you have to kill the enemies that are in the room, and they're kind of like running around, and you are just a smiley face with a bow and arrow. That's pretty <laughs> much what you are. And you're in every room is a treasure that you have to get and avoid the enemies. Now, you don't have to kill the enemies, but it's very hard not to because they're moving really sporadically and really fast. Um, pretty much have to can. kill them all. What'd you say? I said you pretty much have to kill them all if you're going to live. You pretty much have to. Now, some of the challenges are, um, you can imagine that if this game came out in 81, it, it's pretty rudimentary. I mean, the graphics are pretty rudimentary, but the gameplay is fast and frantic. 
when you kill an enemy in a room, his body doesn't disappear right away. And if you touch the remnants of his body after you yep. kill him, you will die. So <laughs> you have her, to wait for the body to kind of disintegrate and disappear. That could be um, a, a female mutant spider with two heads. Exactly. Now, when you clear a room, then you go back into the overworld where you're just a pixel again. Now, it's not easy to move around in there because there are still enemies in there and you can't fire in that overworld room. You you basically are just trying to get to the next room and enter one of the doors on that. Um, as you enter those rooms, like I said, there's either enemies or traps. Like some of the rooms just have moving parts that are just traps and you have to go through the room and try to collect the treasure and exit out of the room. And that pretty much is basically the game. Um, it, I, I tend to really love these kind of games. Um, Berserk, Frenzy, uh, Wizard of War. Uh, I love the games. They're, they, they are early games. They're very rudimentary. But they, this was, in my mind, this was when games started to become more than just kind of space invaders. You know what I mean? Kind of yeah, like the clear the, the screen. Very, yeah. Move exactly. On. People, the game designers were like, Hey, we can make a world here. We can kind of make something interesting, something that goes beyond just normal patterns or whatever. And, uh, this is kind of right up that alley. And when I played the ColecoVision version, I'm always impressed with ColecoVision in that the game's, on there tend to be very like uh, what am I thinking like very close to the arcade versions like yeah at the I'm, time I think ColecoVision probably had the most arcade perfect <laughs> exactly uh, I games. think that they are one of the more authentic systems that 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 get it right when in regards to arcade games outside of the controller <laughs> yeah, exactly that controller was horrible I agree with you there um but anyway, so that is venture. I mean, I think you this is really worth checking out um, if you're interested in those early games, kind of like Berserk. So it's funny that you mentioned this game. First of all, I never thought of it like Berserk, but it is. Now I think mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Um, when I first got my ColecoVision, I came with like half of the game library. It came with a ton of cartridges, and I still have yeah. them all. Yeah. Um, and I remember just going through them all, and for the most part, it was like, "Oh, that's what that, that one. That's what that one's like. Fun. That one's that. You know." And I saw this, and I'm like, "Man, this is hokey. Like, it's simple and it's straightforward, and they're not trying to be terribly clever. It's just kind of whatever." And then I thought that for like 25 minutes as I kept playing the game, um, yeah. and then I realized, you know what? This is really fun. I'm actually really enjoying this, and I can't put a finger on why particularly because, unlike you, I know I grew up after games were stories and you know so much more than a single screen clearing game yeah but um i I do have a soft spot in my heart for this game like there's something about it and uh it's just a a simple dumb straightforward thing and if i had this plugged in i would sit down probably every time i walked in this room like i'll give it quick 10 minutes and i probably turned into 20 yep there's um, one interesting thing about this game is it is a collectible game too because there is a screen that shows you all the treasures on a level. Oh yeah, that's right. Yep. And I can't remember how many levels are in this. It there is a thing that tells you. I think it's like six levels or something like that. Um but 
it shows you all the treasures you collect and like you fill in this kind of chart with. So if you're really loving like a collectibles game, like where you collect all the stuff, this, this will hit that too. Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah. Very cool. Good choice. Yeah. And I forgot that it was bow and arrow. I remember cause obviously you just kind of, you're holding a bow, but you're, you're shooting these kind yeah. of lines, but yeah, no, it's absolutely a bow and arrow game. Kind of like kid Icarus where the arrow just happens to be what you're shooting, but you use it the entire game, so it definitely classifies. Yeah. Now, the next game I wanted to pick is a game I talked about a long time ago, probably our first year, Pixel Guide In. And the next two games I wanted to talk about are games that absolutely have everything to do with the act of using a bow and arrow, and no other weapon would make the game the same. It has to be cool. a bow and it has to be a bow and arrow. Yeah. Um. So this is a game came out in i think 2014 okay um called titan souls um and it's you know on steam and a bunch of other eh, maybe it's not on a bunch of other things it's definitely on steam and i remember seeing videos of this game when i first was looking into it and i was like oh but when's that coming out that looks so cool i'm so excited for it and i don't think it blew up the way it should have but uh this game to me is kind of like a top-down um action art RPG, nah, I wouldn't say RPG, action-adventure game. Um, if you were to take uh, Shadow of the Colossus and make a top-down game out of it, kind of. Okay. Now, what's, what's unique about this game, uh, there's two major things. Um, it's You're in this world kind of alone, and there's no small enemies, kind of like Shadow of the Colossus. You spend a big part of the game trying to figure out kind of a puzzle maze thing figure out where the next boss is and when you get to the boss are these gigantic bosses and they're fast and they're difficult and ultimately they have like a crystal eye or a crystal spot on them that is their weak spot and you only have to hit that spot once and they die um if i remember correctly at least a lot of the bosses do but you only have to hit that thing once and it's you have to figure out patterns and dodge things and figure out how to get other things out of the way in order to hit that one spot to kill them. Yeah. But what makes it hard is you have a bow and an arrow and keep in mind, I did not say a bow and arrows. I said, you have a bow and an arrow. So when you shoot your arrow, it flies across the screen screen. And if it misses or bounces off something, it lays there. And then you have to press your button again on your, your attack button again, which causes you to sit still, and your arrow will slowly make its way back to you. So there's enemies where, obviously, you try to shoot them right in the eye, and there's un- other enemies where you figure out, oh, what I need to do is shoot this arrow to the other side of the screen, get that boss between me and the arrow, and then pull the arrow back into its spot. Um there's all kinds of crazy things that you kind of have to learn through each boss battle as you play them. So um, it's almost like your bow, like your arrow is on almost like a string or something. Like you shoot it and then you got to reel it back in or something. Essentially. Yeah. It's, it's magic yeah. that comes back to you, but you can see okay. them right there. But yeah. Essentially that's it. So at this point, see all these, you've shot this boss so many times that there's little smaller orbs all over the place and his heart was exposed and he just shot it there. And when that happens, you can see this big old eruption. There's a big event, and you're releasing all these things back to the world that they came from and makes a big presentation of the whole thing. Um, and uh, and you just keep going. I mean, it's you have to kind of see it to understand it, but it's a, it's a pixely but beautiful game. 
Uh, here's another cool boss. There's a cube that moves around. And of course, the, the eye is only on one side of the cube, so you got to time it so that the eye is not shooting you, but you shoot the eye when it's available. <laughs> yeah. It's it's interesting. Um, but it's a great game. Absolutely a great game. I'm just kind of scrolling through the video now because there's so much of it. But um, I really enjoy it. Highly recommend it. And it's on sale all the time and now at this point. So Titan Souls on Steam and hopefully some other things at this point. That's really cool. And is that a game by Devolver? That is a question I will have to answer for you when I figure that out. So Okay. Because I thought I saw that logo on one of something, but um, that they are a great. Yeah, Devolver Digital yep, Publisher. It is. the publisher. You they, are correct. Uh, they make great games. I love I love almost every game they come out with. So that's a uh, that's great. I, uh, that's some, looks that's like one it. I'm going to look for for sure. Oh, here you go, Eric. It was released on Android, PlayStation Four, yeah, Windows, Mac OS, PlayStation Vita. What? And Macintosh. Man, the so Vita is go. really the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, it's such a good game. Yeah, you should you should pick it up on the Vita. That would be an awesome way to play it. I'm going to do that. Titan Souls and uh, Severed. I'm getting on the Vita. Yes, good call. I'm writing that down right now. Sweet. Sweet. All right, I'm going to pick the original one here for your next game. Yep. I'm not going to talk about the second one. So my next game is like the de facto bow and arrow game. I mean, of the (laughs) last 15 years. This game... um, I got on the in the halcyon days of the of the Ouya. 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 Um this was so when I got the Ouya, um I think I pl- I think I paid nearly full price for the Ouya itself. And I enjoyed it for the first, you know, year or so and then when it started to hit clearance um like it was getting getting I remember it was at Target and it was getting cleared out. But I remember this game coming out, Towerfall. And Towerfall um, on the Ouya, I remember grabbing it, and I only had one controller for my Ouya, because I only played it by myself, pretty much. But when I got Towerfall, it made me go out and buy three more controllers. And I played this (laughs) game a lot with my friends. Like, they would come over on the weekends, and we would just play this game multiplayer like crazy. So what this game is, think of like a single screen platformer, kind of like a bubble bobble or something like that, where you have four players on there and right above your character is the number of arrows you have. But kind of like what you were saying in Titan Souls, when you run out of your arrows, you have to go retrieve them. (laughs) So, you know, let's say you shoot at somebody and it misses them and it sticks into the wall that it just stays there and you have to go collect arrows. Now the really cool thing is you can collect anybody's arrows. So like yep. if your enemy shoots you an arrow and misses, you can go collect that arrow and go up to your capacity. So if your capacity is at that time, three arrows, if an, if someone shoots at you and misses, you can go grab their arrow. So it becomes this wild free for all of four players running around trying to shoot each other while there are power-ups that generate on the level and that they can give you shields 
They can give you wings so that you can float more, like when you're jumping from platform to platform. Um, you can enhance your arrows so that they're like explosive arrows. Um, it it becomes like one of those crazy, almost like a Smash Bros. style game when it's four yeah. player. Like it is the ultimate multiplayer party game. Like we played this for hours and just had a blast with it. My I got my son in in on this. Um, my son loved to play it. Um, just an amazing game. And it, like I said, it made me go out and buy three more Uyo controllers, which these weren't the best controllers in the world, but I still <laughs> went and got them because I wanted to play this game with as many people as I possibly could. Um, fantastic game on the Ouya. And then ultimately they came out with this on the uh, Switch. That's what we're watching the here. original Towerfall version. And then on other platforms like the PS4 and a couple other platforms, they... They came out with a re redone version called Towerfall um, Ascension. Yeah. And I, I got to admit, I haven't played that version very much, but it is kind of the more of the same. It's more of the same. So, um, again, if you want a great, like probably one of the all-time best multiplayer games, when I think of the best multiplayer party games, I think of... Um, I think of Super Smash Bros. That's a great one. I think of um, Bomberman. I love Bomberman when you have like more than four people. Mm. Um, and Towerfall. Those are the three games I think of the most when I think of party like multiplayer games. Um, yeah, this looks awesome. I'm looking at the Switch version here, which is, like you said, the Ouya version plus. Yep. And it's exactly. cool because they added some new characters like uh, the character from Celeste, which I think is called Celeste, yep. some other characters and, and like more levels and things. But I'm not sure why I haven't downloaded this on the Switch yet. I'm not sure why we haven't all gotten together and had a big old switch off with this because that sounds like a flipping blast. Yeah. And the maker of Celeste is the same maker of this, by the way. Oh, perfect. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. So um, I think it's Maddie. I have it in my notes. Maddie. Uh, Hold on. Ma- Maddie, uh, yeah. Is that what you just said? Exactly. Maddie. Uh, yeah. No, this looks so cool. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to screw. Oh, there it is. Uh, Maddie Thorson. Maddie Thorson. Maddie Thorson wrote, did Celeste and this game and Towerfall Ascension. All right. Cool. So I wanted, like I said, to pick games that were based off the bow and arrow very specifically, yeah. couldn't play the game unless you had a bow and arrow. And I didn't want to pick another game that we've already talked about a ton on the show. Okay. But I'm going to do it anyways. But I don't want to break my rule. So my official game, um, Eric, that I'm picking is a game called The Games Summer Challenge on the Genesis. The Games Summer Challenge. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it's good. It's so exciting, Eric. Now this is gonna. Um, this isn't just bow and arrow, though, is it? Uh, I'm just gonna talk about the bow and arrow section. But yeah, it's okay. like a Olympic summer game challenge. Um, yeah. you, can he- you can hear the monotony in my voice because uh, <laughs> have you ever played Magic Darts on either the Commodore or NES or one of those old systems? Magic Darts. Yeah, this game is basically the so. same game, Magic Darts. Here you go. You're you're doing archery. You hold yeah. the bu- you hold the button down, try to aim the reticle at the target, and it kind of shakes around as you, it's supposed to mimic you shaking around. You try to let go when it's over the bullseye, and you repeat. 
that's the game. Anyways, I want to talk about another game now. I, this is going to be totally inappropriate, but I was looking at this thinking, this is like the Parkinson's challenge. Uh, oh, jeez. Yeah, no, it's just you hold the reticle over where you want it to, and it shakes around a bunch. You try to let it go yeah. when it's where you... Anyways, so that's the archery game. That's a classic game. Um, great. Anyways, here's an honorable mention I really want to talk about, Eric. So, <laughs> <laughs> I know I Good. cheated, but... Please, I love it when we cheat. I'm Come cheating on. because... Yeah. I, if I think of any game, and I could have said like Horizon Zero Dawn or one of the Horizon games, which are much more bow and arrow heavy than the game you're about entirely. to say, but but, but you yeah. say that you say that, but I I played probably ten hours of that game, uh, and it's very bow and arrow heavy. However, when I think of bow and arrow, I yeah. spent more time in the two Fire Far Cry games that I've played using just the bow and arrow to either hunt animals, and I had yep. so much fun just sneaking around hunting animals, or even when I was coming in on, you know, you have rocket launchers, you have machine guns, you have all kinds of crazy stuff, but every time I wanted to storm a base or whatever, I snuck in, and I used the bow and arrow to pick people off, and when I could had money to upgrade bow and arrows and make them, you know, more powerful and stronger yeah. and stealthy, I put it on the bow and arrow. I didn't worry about any of the other guns until my bow and arrow was maxed out. That's right. Laser finder. I want that laser finder on my bow and arrow. I want it all. Man, there is something so satisfying about sneaking around in the bushes and picking off a guy with a bow and arrow, him never seeing you and no one else hearing it. And you just keep sneaking around until you killed like 30 people and no one, not a single person knew until they were hit. It is the coolest feeling. Far Cry to me is more than anything else a bow and arrow game. Well, Um, I'm going to tell you. Judge Eric is going to allow this. Judge, Judge Eric accepts. I accept uh, this because I love Far Cry. And man, I don't know what Tim is thinking. Do you <laughs> Tim is wrong. Do you remember when Tim was like, it's a Far Cry from fun? <laughs> yeah. It's a Far Cry from right. Dude, he needs to, he really needs to replay Far Cry because I'm allowing this because Far Cry is one of my favorite series of all times. And I will agree with you, the bow and arrow is the funnest way to go through the game because the silent takedowns and adding all the cool stuff to your bow and arrow and the explosives, um, you could could basically shoot a grenade. I mean, it's insane. It's, It's freaking awesome. Yeah, you can use your bow and arrow to shoot like an explosive barrel, and yep. all the enemies will go look at the barrel. They don't know you, what, that you were there. That's right. They just all went over to the barrel, and if you can get them near another barrel and shoot that barrel, then they all blow up at once, and you're just like, yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> and I remember like when I was sneaking up on the bases, like using my bow and arrow to shoot the cages to allow the animals wild to animals escape. to come out. <laughs> Do you remember yep. that? Because yeah. if you shot it with a gun, they'd hear you, but if you shot it with a bow and arrow... They didn't hear it, and the animal would just escape and start killing everyone in the base. <laughs> and you get credit for, like, wild animal kill. Yeah. It, yeah. Dude, Far Cry is one of the most amazing games ever. I This is one of those things I got to I, 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 I gotta get through. We got to get through to Tim somehow. Yeah. I don't know, I don't what, know he, what Tim's missing on this. Probably just skill. <laughs> no, I don't know if it's skill or if it's, uh, like, um... I don't know. I don't know I don't what know. it is, man. I don't yep. know what it is. It's so good. But it, but even if you just are doing the hunting portion of it, I always hunted yeah. with the bow and arrow because they didn't want to scare any way the other animals. You can sit there and it just felt primal and real. In fact, that's something I haven't played yet that I should, really should play. Is that Far Cry Primal? Yeah, I have it and I haven't really played it because I, I did start it and 
I want the guns. <laughs> Uh-oh. We just talked about the Monero, but now you want the guns. I want them. Well, I mean, I'm American, so I want, like, I want guns and, like, grenades and all sorts of stuff. And I just wasn't feeling it. So I, I should go back to it, but I do have it. So I have it I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna the try Xbox it. One, so I need to play that. I got to give it a shot. So, Anyways, Eric, you got one more game for us. Yeah, and this one, like, all that stuff you were saying, I felt like you were trying to stab me in the heart. What? Because <laughs> you're like, you're saying, you're saying, well, I needed to pick a game where you had bow and arrow all the way through. <laughs> and, and, and and if you don't pick that, then you're the worst person in the world. I, I think that's verbatim what I said. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly what you said. But I'm going to fit this into another codyism in that right, you always right. say you want it. You, you kind of morph games you want to play into our segments. Yep. Okay. And so here I go. That's what exactly what I'm doing here. So. The game I picked is, and the the pronunciation of this varies, and I watched a ton of videos, and the sen- the consensus seems to be that the way you pronounce this game is Guange. I, I, it's, it's always going to be Guange to me, so that's what Okay, <laughs> so let's just say you say Guange, I'm going to say Guange. All right. Um, but this one is a um, cave shooter, which I know you will appreciate. Oh, I love this. Game. Yes. Yes. Cave shooter. Have you played this one? Oh, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Okay. <clears throat> so if you pick a specific character, they do. In fact, it's the character on the screen right now. They do have a bow and arrow. Now, yep. is it really a bow and arrow? I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> that it's shoots shooting, multiple arrows a hundred times a second. Yes. Exactly. So this is a cave shooter, but I played this in Tate mode on the Mister, which was beautiful, amazing nice. experience. You saw the pictures of me playing this one, right? Yes, yes. I got um, excited just seeing you play it. So, man, this game has six stages. Um, you have two buttons: a standard shot, um, and then you also have your spirit that you can believe called the Shikigami. And the Shikigami is basically a spirit that after you release, your character slows down tremendously, but you can move the Shikigami like the spirit and and destroy things. And this is kind of a, a bullet hell. I guess you'd call it a bullet hell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah it's a bullet hell kind of shooter. For sure. Um, some of the very unique and cool things about this, though... Um, Oh, so so let me explain. You, there is a standard shot, and then that you hit over and over again. It's your standard shot. If you hold the button down, you control your spirit, the Shikigami spirit, that you can then control and move around the screen, but you slow down, so you it's harder to avoid fire. Um, and then the second button is a bomb button. So there is a screen clearing kind of bomb. Okay. Now. One of the very unique and cool things about this game is that you do you don't just move up and down, you move left and right sometimes. The screen auto scrolls as your character walks and moves through the level. Um, but sometimes you have to move left and right as well as diagonal. And there are like objects in this world, so you can kind of hide behind them and like dodge bullets in that way too. So I found that that was really cool at the end. You have six stages at the end of every stage is a boss. Um, I played this game for about three hours before I really understood how to control the Shikigami. And once you mm-hmm. do understand 
how to control that, it really opens this game up. Because I was struggling getting past the first boss until I realized how to use that spirit. Mm-hmm. And then once I knew how to do that, I was getting to the third, fourth level easily. Like, not easily, but getting through there. Um, well, well, you might be about to say it, but I think there's one aspect of the game that's key that I haven't heard you say yet. Go ahead. Which is, so, one thing I love about cave shooters is all the bullets are either blue or pink. Yep. So they're very obviously bullets and not other things on the screen. So it's always very obvious what you need to avoid. Correct. And when you're using the Shikigami... Um, all the bullets are blue in this game unless your Shikigami is um, covering the bullets, like it overlays the bullets, and then they turn pink and slow down to like a tenth of their speed. They slow down dramatically. That is correct, Um, yes. And so that's key because if you don't do that, there's literally no way to get past some of the bullet patterns. So that becomes part of the strategy is, all right, I'm going to slow down this section here to hide over here until that enemy dies, and when the enemy dies, the bullets disappear. Um, so it's it's part puzzle game in that way as well. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad that you played this game before, because I hadn't. I never played this one. And, I mean, I've played a ton of the cave shooters, like Do, like Don Pachi and Dodon Pachi and a bunch of the other ones, but I never knew about this one, and I love it. This, this I, I had so much fun playing this in the, the last two weeks. I played it while I was sick. Um, luckily I didn't have COVID, so I wasn't too tired to play games while I was sick (laughs) this time. So I, I played this one a ton and I got better and better and better. And every time you play it, you get further and further, which is the sign to me that a game has the right difficulty level. Now this game is not easy. No, this game is tough as nails, but it's a it's a quarter muncher because it was in the arcade, so you can just keep feeding it quarters and keep moving forward and forward. But but it's not a true quarter muncher because all the cave games and a lot of shmups are made to be. It, you you can beat them with one coin. Yeah, that, you can, you can, but I, I'm not good enough to de- typically no, do that. But I mean, if you find people who are really into shmups, that's the whole. Yes. That's what they're always trying to do. Right? They'll put forty, fifty hours into a game like this, trying to get to that one coin credit. Um, or one credit completion or whatever it is. So the yeah. one CC uh, and it's doable because they make sure it's doable. It's not just like there's a lot of games on Neo Geo, for example. It's like, no, yeah. we don't expect you to actually be able to clear this. Like there's cheap deaths. There's things that are going to cost you money. Yeah. And I will say in regards to like, there are some bullet hells which are so incredibly difficult to navigate through the hell of the bullets coming towards you. <laughs> This game's not like that. It's usually pretty clear how you can dodge the bullet patterns. You know what I mean? Just get good, bro. It's not unfair. I guess that's the way to say it is it's not really unfair, uh, but it is difficult. I'm yep. not going to lie. It is difficult. Like the centipede. But I love this. I love I loved this game. It was probably the most fun game I played this month for the research I was doing for games. Um, I know the bow and arrow is kind of light. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> but uh, but I, I, I had to pick it. So um, there it is. Guange, or as you say, Guanji. Gawange. Gawange. <laughs> I'm just reading it like American. <laughs> and by the way, it came out in the arcade, of course, uh, which I played on the Mr. Uh, simulating the arcade core. But there was an Xbox 360 version, which I heard was actually pretty decent. Oh, and, I think it's on the Switch as well. Uh, is it? I believe so. 
Oh, when I researched this, I, I only saw that it was on arcade and Xbox 360. Oh, I thought it, I thought it had been uh, ported to the Switch. I hope it has, because if it, if the price is right, I might do that. Oh, you're right. 360 arcade game, iMode, Y-Mobile, Doja. I don't know what those other are. I don't know what are, any of that means. Xbox 360 and arcade is pretty much what I knew that it came out. Man, if it came out on Switch, I'd probably grab it, because honestly, it was so much fun. And and if you could do the Tate mode and on the Switch, I'd do that in a heartbeat. So when I first got into shmups, which again is my genesis into retro gaming, that, that's when I really started actually collecting and buying old systems and stuff again was to play all the shmups. Because all of a sudden, I realized I played, um, oh, what's it called? Gunbird. I played Gunbird 2, I think, on the Dreamcast. Yeah. And I'm like, I want more of whatever this type of game is. It's just like simple, straightforward, like shoot avoid move forward like this is cool like i was digging it so i learned you know quickly that that they called those shmups and then i started researching other shmups and cave came to the forefront and i realized there's shmups all over all kinds of systems and i got i just started digging into it and very soon after that i first i made my first mame cab and almost exclusively for like two years i just played cave shmups on wow. my on my cab so esp rod a and and Gawange and uh, of course I can't think of them now that I'm on the spot. But um, oh, actually one I th- one I've talked about on the show before, Eric. That um, it's been a while now, but it still doesn't get a ton of love. But it was called like oh shoot, I'll have to think it. It was a, a cave game. It was like disco ninjas or disco robots, hmm. and it's so funky and weird. But I absolutely love that game. I'll have to I'll, I'll have to play it sometime. I'll have to figure out what it is, but. Good choice. Right. I, Good choice. I look forward to it because I loved my time with this one. Yep. Great game. And that was six good games. Let's go ahead and, and hammer out some honorable mentions real quick. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you got the first one here. We actually mentioned it already in the show. Dead Cells. Dead Cells was a man. I it was my game of the year. I think the first year of Pixel Gaiden, I think, or it might have been the second year or whatever. But Dead Cells, um, which is on Steam, Steam. Uh, it's on uh, Switch, is w- which is where I played it. I'm trying to remember the uh, crossbow or the bow and arrow reference. I, it, he does have a bow and arrow as a as a weapon that he can use. So I okay. mean, but he he goes through a lot of weapons, so it is kind of a just one of the weapons that he can use. Um, the second game you have here is a game that I thought about immediately, but I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, Forbidden Forest was recommended by a ton of people, including Amigos Aaron. And I played it. I pl- I did try it out and play it. It wasn't bad. Um, it's a Commodore 64 game where you're a character on the bottom of the screen and like the world kind of scrolls by you and you're shooting birds and stuff like that that fly around you. Um, I found better games, so that's why I kind of didn't pick it. But you know, I mean, it, for the Commodore 64, it wasn't a bad game. And there was a there was a sequel called Forbidden Forest Two, I think, or might have had I believe a name so. to it. But, yeah, I just didn't pick it, but it's a good runner-up. And then is Crossbow the arcade game? Yeah, and it's another one by Exidy. I'm, so, you I'm know pulling, what? I'm I picked Venture, no, I don't know this, this one. one's by Exidy. Okay. Woof. I'll get that up here in just a second. I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. There we go. I want to see this game because I'm not familiar with this one. Crossbow. It actually looks kind of, um. oh, wow. So yeah, like I saw a, this one. I didn't like try this one, but I saw game? this. This is the reason I didn't pick it is it's a light gun game. 
Yeah, it's a light gun game. You can't even tell. In fact, you there's little explosions where you shoot, which makes me think it should be a gun. Yeah, I um, don't think this is truly a bow and arrow game. Okay. I would agree. Um, and then the one that I want to throw on here, uh, I don't know if you played this, but I want to throw it on here because for some reason I got I got fairly into this game at one point. And to be honest with you, it's the only game by the, um, uh, what are the, the Oliver Twins? Okay. This is the only, because they make the Dizzy game and a couple other games, like the BMX Simulator and stuff. Yeah. Um, this is the only game I've actually enjoyed playing of theirs. I hate to put it that way, but it's just, a, it, it is what it is. Sure. But it's, it's a game called Robin Hood. And it's, I think, one of their earlier games. Um, and it was like a $2, you know, cheap game. Um, this is not it. This is a different game, which is Robin Hood and also Bow and Arrows. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was way off. It is called Super Robin Hood. I'm glad I corrected myself. Super Robin Hood. And it is a um, Commodore and or Spectrum game, a ZX Spectrum game where you're Robin Hood, and it's a side-scrolling platformer, and you're crawling up and down ladders, and you're shooting enemies, and you kind of got to do everything in the right order, kind of like all those old games kind of did. I'm not going to lie. It's clunky. Um, you know, like the spider, the... All the, in video games, all spiders just kind of go up and down in a vertical shaft. That's right. <laughs> For whatever reason. Uh, there's other archers you can shoot. There's health in the form of hearts and other pickups. It is big and chunky and simple and straightforward, but I actually enjoy it. So Yeah, would, it looks like a pretty good game. I haven't played this one before, but it looks like it would be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing special about it, but Robin Hood. Yeah. All right, Eric. That is uh, six good games, and that is an episode of Pixel Guide N. Yeah. Coming up on the next episode, we will have Tim join us. Uh, we're going to have our Eric's take, hopefully, and our tea time with Tim. Um, we might just have tea time with Tim next week because we need to make time for our fantastic, fantabulous end of the year show. Yeah. Uh, but we'll also be doing a battle of the systems against two. How do you describe it? Reticle-based shooter games? It's kind of a light gun game, but we're using a reticle rather than a light gun. Yeah. Um, which is NOM, NOM 1975 on the Neo Geo versus Operation Wolf on the TurboGrafx-16. Or more uh, accurately, the PC Engine. Thank you. Thank you. Right. It was not released, apparently, on the TurboGrafx, only the Japanese version called the PC Engine. That's right. And only in Japanese. Um, so we'll be doing that. Yeah, we'll of course and, and be doing our end of the year. Yep, and catching up with Tim and uh, yeah, talking about our favorite things of the year, uh, ringing in the new year. That's always new- my hardest segment of of the year is remembering all the stuff we did through the year. It's it's, all, it, it's the most difficult for me. It's all the beer. I, I really need to keep a spreadsheet. <laughs> I, I'm going to do this. This is my New Year's resolution. I'm going to keep go. a Pixel Guiden spreadsheet of like my favorite things that we've done through the year. So it's not so hard at the end of the year. I I've done mine, but it was very hard. It was very tough. What we need to do, and this is going to be pulling back the curtain, but we need to leave the notes. At least we always delete all the episodes in Dropbox when we're done with them. Yeah. Let's just keep the notes in there because we need to go back and look them all over. I'm sure that's true. Yep. Anyways, um, there we go. So we hope you guys have a, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and all that good stuff. Um, Happy New Year. And we'll we'll see you again on the 30th. 
We'll see you again on the 30th, but as far as recording, we don't get to say I, I guess we can say it again. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we will see you guys in the new year, and uh, we're going to try to put something... I mean, it's not going to be super special, but we got we got to do something special for episode 100. So yeah. I have a couple of fun ideas. Um, and if you guys have any ideas, go ahead and throw it in Discord, and we'll say, wow, that's a great idea, and then not do it, and then we'll do our <laughs> own thing. But uh, feel free to make some suggestions. We'd love to hear it. And um, yeah, I had I had fun tonight. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Cody. And until next time, remember, it's dangerous, it's dangerous to, to go, go alone. alone. Thank you again for listening. You can find episode information and show notes online at pixelguiden.com. Please follow us on Twitter at pixel underscore guiden. And you can also follow Eric at the project. That's D-U-H project. You can also follow Cody on Twitter at oddball49. That's O-D-D-B-A-1149. You can reach Tim Drew as well on Twitter at sanction. That's S-A-N-X-I-O-N. If you are interested in supporting the show financially, please join us at our Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash pixelguiden. Please leave a review to help get our podcast listed higher up on the show rankings. We would also love to hear from you with any comments or input. So hit us up on our email at podcast at pixelguiden.com. I'll get you next time, Pixel Guiden.